Hello, I'm Jeff Lester, and welcome to Wait, What? A comics and pop culture podcast coming to you from the not-so-solitary fortress that is WaitWhatPodcast.com. Episode 284 is here for the holidays, with Graham McMillan and I gabbing about Graham and his recent trip to Brazil to attend Comic-Con Experience Sao Paulo. It is a very thorough breakdown of a very exciting show, but we also managed to work in discussions of Dark Knight, The Golden Child by Frank Miller, Raphael Grandpa, and Jordi Belair, have a spoiler-free discussion of the final issue of Doomsday Clock out this week, talk about what manga would make a best comics of the decade list from Graham, and much, much more in this two-hour episode. Comments on this episode are available at waitwhatpodcast.com. Send us your questions at waitwhatpodcast at gmail.com, and we invite you to look out for us on Twitter, Tumblr, Instagram, and Patreon. As always, we hope you enjoy, and thank you for listening. Jeff Lester! Graham McMillan, hello. Hello there, it's been a really long time. It has been absurdly long, hasn't it? Uh, sorry, Whatnots, for, for it being such a long time. It's all my fault, as we said in the last like Super Short episode. It really is my fault. Mm. Um, but it has been really... It's been like three or four weeks, right? Yeah, I think so. It's, I don't know if it's been four, but I'm really damn sure it's... I want to say, say we took three weeks off, which means it's been four weeks. Uh, oh, I see what you're saying. Oh, look at you once again, Graham McMillan, master of time and space. Yes, four weeks. Look, I can't watch Doctor Who for nothing. (laughs) Indeed, that is the point of this podcast, to prove that Graham and I did not do fill in the blank for nothing. (laughs) And the next thing we're going to prove we didn't do for nothing is, I don't know, insert, insert suggestion here. Yes, indeed. Uh, so, uh, Graham, yes, we've got a lot to catch up on, catch the listeners up on, uh, just be like... Be ourselves. Ourselves, got yeah. got a lot exactly. to say, mm-hmm. man, yeah. daddy. <laughs> no, we're here, we've got a lot to say. Jeff, I, I genuinely have to tell you about uh, Comic-Con Experience, San Paulo. Please do. Please, I really please have do. to, mm-hmm. because I've never been to a comic convention like that before. Yeah. I genuinely might have ruined me for all American comic conventions. Holy smokes. There's there's multiple reasons for this. Mm -hmm. But the main one is it's like a well-organized Comic-Con. It's like a Comic-Con organized by adults who understand that adults are going to it. Wow. Right? By which I mean – the, the floor was organized in such a way that even at its busiest, even on like Saturday evening, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. I managed to make it literally all the way across the convention floor and upstairs to the press room in less than 10 minutes. Good grief. That's crazy. Right? I mean, th- imagine trying to get to even halfway across the show floor in San Diego in 10 minutes. Right, it's impossible. Yeah, um, this it, it's it was the basic things. The first night, so so whatnots. You know this because I said this in the last mini episode. But for those who didn't hear that, or for those who are just joining us, or for those who just need a refresher, uh, last week I was in Brazil because that's what I do now. Apparently, uh, <laughs> I was at the Comic Con Experience in Sao Paulo, um, which is they say it's the world's biggest Comic Con. 
I actually disagree because I think there's one in Japan that's bigger. Really? But nonetheless, there's like 280,000 people there apparently. Wow. That's, Which is just nuts, that's right? Crazy. Like insane. Yeah. Um, it is – it's a show – that uh, takes over the Sao Paulo Expo Center, which is a very nice center, to be honest. Like, it's a very big open center, which helped a lot, I have to say. Like, the amount of space there helped a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, I keep comparing it to San Diego, which is not fair. San Diego has infinitely more exhibitors, hmm. which which sort of really – I mean, for example, if Sao Paulo uh, – if Comic-Con Expo, uh, experience so it's called it's called ccxp for mm-hmm. short and mm-hmm. that's why i keep remembering it as and i'm like no it's comic-con experience that's what it's called um but if it had as many exhibitors as san diego did it would probably run into a lot of the same problems the fact that it doesn't is again to me a sign that they're doing something good mm-hmm. right um artist alley being in the center of the show floor wow it's a, and also, so it's it's really uh, the layout was actually really interesting. Imagine uh, a rectangle, like just imagine show floor being a big rectangle. Okay. All the big uh, media displays outlets mm-hmm. are on the periphery. Mm-hmm. Then you get another layer in, mm-hmm. and it is sort of somewhere between like the big media companies and comic publishers the next layer in is comic publishers and in the center is artist alley hmm. which is a really smart layout if you ask yeah, me absolutely you know like it's a really good idea for a layout because having all the big media things on the outside means there are multiple ways to get there and the people who only want to go and see netflix warner brothers disney whatever mm-hmm. don't congregate in the middle of the show floor right right yeah which gives that more space mm-hmm, right mm-hmm. like it's a smart layout mm-hmm. um other things i really liked the signage was exceptionally clear hmm. and also very well designed hmm. like it you know it's enough for someone who doesn't speak language i don't speak portuguese but i understood where i was going mm-hmm. you know um i i talked about it being like Designed for adult, by adults for adults. Mm-hmm. Jeff, they had a crash. They had a drop off so you could drop your kids off, so you didn't have to take them around the show. Wow, isn't that just smart? Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. that's just. I saw that and I was like, why doesn't everyone do this? That just makes sense. Mm-hmm. That's because how many times have we gone to comic cons? It's what you haven't been to comic con in a long time, but like no, even, even before you stopped going, you'd see parents dragging kids along who didn't want to be there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Or taking, like, babies who are just overwhelmed by the whole thing. Oh, yeah, right. Exactly. You know? Yeah. And it's like, you don't have to do that. Mm-hmm. I, that's always struck me whenever I've seen parents grab, dragging kids along. Mm-hmm. It's always struck me as, like, borderline cruel. You know? Because it's just like, they don't want to be there, dude. <laughs> like, just let them not be there. That's, right. that's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, but now, they don't have to now. You know, there's a crash. They can go and play mm. while while, you know... Mom and dad dress up as Harley Quinn and, and the Joker, and then, you know, <laughs> oh, whatever. Um, that was great. The press room, I, I said this on Twitter, the press room was just like. Part of this is, this is my first Comic Con after New York. And I don't know if you know this, but New York Comic Con didn't have even power outlets in its press room for the first couple of days. Right. Which, you know, strikes me as a mis- uh, an error. 
mm-hmm. shall we say. Mm-hmm. And so going into a press room, which is a closed-off room, has private lockers, has free food and drink. And I don't just mean like water and whatever. Right, like and chips. Toast. Exactly. No, it's like, you know, it's got fruit. It has a forever changing selection of food through the day. What? It has soft drinks and tea and coffee and water. Wow. All for free. <laughs> oh. Right? Yeah. Uh, power outlets, Wi-Fi, um, actual are like hard lines if you have uh, a lot of internet to uh, 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 deal with. Right. Like if you don't want to deal with uploading something through Wi-Fi, there right. are hard lines for you to plug into. Holy smokes. Right? All of this stuff is just like, this is this is ridiculous. This is absolutely amazing. Yeah. Um, yeah, it, it, was, it, it was such a weird, genuinely wonderful show mm-hmm. that I was just like, this is... This is, uh, uh, it feels like a model for how to do Comic Cons. Yes. And I felt very, I genuinely felt very lucky to be there. I mean, I felt very lucky to be there in the first place because, again, it's Sao Paulo. Yes. Like, I, like, I didn't pay to go there. Someone paid for me to go to Sao Paulo, mm-hmm. which in itself is, is, you know, something that you feel lucky about. Mm-hmm. But the show itself was just amazing. Hmm. It was just really, really great. Well, um, so, yeah. It was, uh, it was it was a wonderful experience. So a few questions, uh, which are run the whole gamut from frivolous to inessential. Uh, where, how many other North American journalists were there that you encountered? Um, I'm going to say at least five. Uh-huh. Uh huh. And the reason I say that is on the Sun the last day. Um. There was a surprise, by which I mean it literally was not something that was organized by the time I arrived. Um, there was a surprise uh, roundtable with Gal Gadot and Patty Jenkins about Wonder Woman. Mm. And it was me and three other journalists, and I know there was at least one other journalist there. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there was, it was, for the most part, movie uh, uh, sites that were there. Right. Movie clips. Uh, understandably, because one of the big things was it was just it was a very movie centric show. Mm-hmm. So, for example, the big things were the Wonder Woman thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, Birds of Prey had a panel where they showed a trailer which still hasn't been released. Um, Ryan Reynolds was there with Free Guy. Kevin Feige was there for the world's shortest panel <laughs> ever. I'm, I shit you not, Jeff. It was twenty two minutes long. Twenty two oh, minutes. That's including footage. What? Yeah. That's insane. That's yeah, insane. Right. That's, that's so short. It's so funny because he came out and he was like, you know, I'm so glad to be here. I should have come here earlier. It's so great being here. And then he was on stage for two minutes, including clips. And then he just went off. And really, and this is not an exaggeration, people in the, the press area where I was were like, he's coming back, right? <laughs> like, this, this is one of these like, oh, I forgot one thing things no he just left stage after 22 minutes wow holy shit yeah yes yeah i was i mean genuinely shocked yeah yeah that's startling now just out of curiosity i mean do you think that's because uh a he didn't have anything to really announce or b there was 
it it was far enough away from the mainstream media crowd that he they thought it wasn't worth their time to break bust he out showed, anything bigger. He showed up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he, he showed, showed up, up, which is with, no. Well, I was going to say is he showed up with oh. uh, uh, Eternals footage that right. has never been shown. Uh huh. Black Widow footage that had never been shown. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll be blunt. All of the press expected him to announce something. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I expected him to announce something in particular. Like, there had been a rumor that he was going to announce something in particular. Can you so not I, say what that is? I, I would rather not, because I heard it from other people, and I don't want to get people into trouble. I see. Okay. Um, but, but when I say, like, we expect him to announce things, I mean, like, THR and other sites had prepped the story to essentially go live wow like that's sure we were shit and then just didn't Mm. um and just out of curiosity do you think that that was i I mean it's really asking you to go deep into the speculation but do you think it was going to happen and it got pulled at the last minute or it just i I honestly honestly have no idea okay i honestly have no idea Mm mm-hmm uh, it, yeah, it was really strange because, like, we were all expecting that to be the big news of the show. Mm-hmm. Like, everyone was. Mm-hmm. Uh, and no, it, it literally just didn't happen. But again, that's why when he walked off stage, we were all like, okay, so he's coming back. He's coming back for the big because, thing. Because, yeah, he's not done the news. Right. And it just didn't come back. And we were all like, oh. Okay, <laughs> thing. So, so on, like, there was, uh, the Birds of Prey thing was on the Thursday night. Mm-hmm. And it was like it was the big moment of the th- of the Thursday of the show. Like here's Margot Robbie, here's Rosie Perez, Mary Elizabeth Winstead, Julie Smart, uh, Smart Bell. Like here, here are them all. They're all on stage. Here's the director, Kathy Ann. They're going to show exclusive footage. They're going to talk about the film, right? And that happened, and everyone was like, "Ah!" I, I took him wrong. The crowds there were the most enthusiastic crowds I've ever seen at a show. Um, every single show, they basically gave everyone a standing ovation and then chanted their name. Wow. Which wow. was kind of nuts. Um, so anyway, that's Thursday. And then Friday uh, was a lot of stuff like, you know, Amazon was like the biggest thing. But Amazon in Brazil is a lot of shows that we don't think of as Amazon shows. Hmm. It's so like they're like, it's Picard and Star Trek Discovery. and uh, Wow. Uh, and what's the other one that was a surprise? Oh, American Gods. Right. And you're like, none of those are Amazon shows. Right? Yeah. yeah, exactly. Um, but then, but so Friday was, was relatively quiet. And then Saturday was, uh, everyone thought Marvel was going to be the big thing. Mm-hmm. Right? Because there was a Star Wars panel after Marvel. But everyone was like, but Marvel's going to be news. There's no Star Wars news. The news is, there's a film out mm-hmm. in two weeks, but you all know that. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, so we were like, Marvel's the big thing. Almost every panel on Saturday ran extremely short. Mm-hmm. They're like they're all slotted for like forty five minutes to an hour, and almost all of them ran about half an hour, hmm. which was really genuinely odd. Hmm. Um, and I don't know if because the fact that it was everyone made me think like, did, were they all just told half an hour, hmm. or like what happened, mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. like did no one really decide to bring anything? But like lots of people did. Star Wars even brought like an exclusive clip of the mm-hmm. film, mm-hmm. Um, and then Sunday. Hilariously, Sunday was Netflix's panel, which Jeff ran three hours. <laughs> three hours. Holy shit! Three hours long. 
which was insane. Uh, it started with Henry Cavill there for The Witcher, mm-hmm. which, you know, fine, whatever, not my thing. But, he, like, Henry Cavill just shows up and smiles, and everyone's like, ah. <laughs> um, and then they had – there's a Spanish show called Money Heist. Oh, which yeah. I, mm-hmm. I've yeah, heard of that. Like, mm-hmm. Yeah. They were there, and they were rapturously received. Yeah. Uh, and honestly – I don't think the cast of the show had ever really been in something like that because like one of the actresses literally just tears up like mm-hmm. this is her shit at getting the, the response that she gets, uh, which was, honestly was really touching to see because mm-hmm. you, you, before that, you know, I literally seen Henry Cavill who comes out and honestly is like, this is smaller than Holly H. San Diego. Sure. Chad, my name, whatever. I've been Superman. Right. But then you have, like, the cast of Money Heist come out and they're like choked up and like really you see it when you know people in a show or people in a movie series or something know that like this is as good as it's going to get mm. but enjoying it mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. this this cast came out and they just were like you know triumphant and overwhelmed at the same time and it was kind of touching to see you know mm-hmm. and then uh ryan reynolds come out for the michael bay movie that just went up mm-hmm. uh, uh and my and again ryan reynolds is just like effortlessly charming at these things mm-hmm. but it was three hours long jeff yeah the was three hours long <laughs> well i mean i would say that if you were listing out of all the stuff that you listed it kind of i don't know i mean i'm tempted to say it could be wrong it's like the more you've got something to lose like the harder you're gotta hustle you know what i mean like yeah it was was weird so after anyway after that there was hbo and they came out doing his dark materials Mm -hmm. Uh, and then there was a warner brothers thing that that was basically teases like warner brothers 2020 and no one knew what it was and what it was was just showing clips from films um but it was a very surreal experience because it was clips from films and then someone come out and talk about everything in portuguese Wow. So was really trying to pick up context clues of what they were saying. And then it'd be like, oh, it's a clip. But the clips were all in English. Mm. Um, and were they subtitled then? Or? Yes, they were, oh, okay. they were subtitled. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing that was fascinating was being in this, this big auditorium, which was a big auditorium. Like, I, it's, it wasn't as big as college, but it was still a very big auditorium. Mm-hmm. Um, the crowd was so enthusiastic and so happy that you couldn't hear what was on screen. Mm. Genuinely couldn't, mm-hmm. uh, which made for a really surreal experience because on the one hand, the crowd doesn't need to hear. There's right. actually subtitles. Yeah, they're right? reading it. Yeah. But I need to hear because I don't understand. <laughs> I can't read Portuguese. I don't understand Portuguese. And it's this really weird thing where you'd get like the American journalists be like, I have no fucking idea what's being said. <laughs> like, I, 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 I do not know what's happening, uh, which was really funny. Like, you'd really be straining. Um and we did that, and then they did the Wonder Woman thing, which honestly, and the Wonder Woman thing was being live streamed on Twitter, mm-hmm. and it was like the he was the worldwide premiere of the trailer, yada yada yada. And Warner Brothers went all out, mm. like before the the panel starts, everyone gets a gift bag, everyone in the audience oh, gets right. a gift, uh-huh. and the gift bag had like bracelets that light up, mm-hmm. so that you could. Like the Wonder Woman symbol, and then all the bracelets would light up, and sure enough, like it looked amazing. Right. Um, but like the unfolded extra screens came down from the roofs. Jesus Christ! Like they, they went all out, and it was genuinely kind of amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially like just to be in there when all of this is happening, and they're really going all out. Uh, and then they did the same thing that 
uh, Lucasfilm's edit Star Wars Celebration, which is you live stream the panel and you end the panel by going like, and here's the trailer. Mm-hmm. And then the live feed cut off and then the light came up and they're like, okay, so we're not showing you the trailer everyone's seeing on the internet. Um, we're showing you other footage. Do you want to see other footage? And everyone's like, ah! <laughs> um, so then we see an entirely different trailer. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, I can't hear it. <laughs> because they showed it twice and people were quieter the second time around. I was like, okay, now I, now I actually know what I've seen. Yeah, thank God. That's yeah, hilarious. Um, another surreal thing is, so I went, I go and see, um, Frank Quiley has a panel. Hmm. Oh yeah. His panel, mm-hmm. uh, which was, which was fun question mark. Hmm. Um, the, the, it was sort of a career overview, but the guy running the panel, uh, I, he seemed to have an agenda for want of a better way of putting it. Mm-hmm. Like he'd say things like, and again, these questions are in Portuguese, and I only know what the questions are because Frank was getting uh, a simultaneous translation in his ear. Mm. And then he'd say the question again in English before answering. Mm. Mm-hmm. So it was a really odd panel for that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he was asking things like, you know, who do you, who's better to work with, Grant Morrison or Mark Miller? Right. Who would you rather go out on, on a, for, uh, on, uh, for dinner with? Mm-hmm. Who's more fun? I know there's a lot of like that, which felt really weird. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? It's like, okay, but they're both his friends. So right. are you trying to start shit? Because it kind of feels like you're trying to start shit. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, I saw that, and there was uh, I saw the Frank Miller, Raphael Grandpa uh, panel, and I saw the, uh, the Batman 80th anniversary panel with Neil Adams that was fucking insane. Yeah, your transcript, uh, or at least your sort of semi-tweeted, live-tweeted transcript of it made it sound bananas. Uh, it was it was so strange. So it was... Uh, the only two I remember, there was like four people up on stage. The only two I remember were Adams and Mikhail Janin. Mm-hmm. Um, and Neil Adams clearly thought that it was the Neil Adams panel with mm. special <laughs> So he took over everyone. Everyone, any question would be asked and he would answer. Mm. Like literally, you're talking to Michael John, like, you know, Batman's wedding. And Neil Adams is like, oh, I got a bit too close to being married. Nobody wants Batman married. You know who they got married? Spider-Man. And that was a mistake. And let me explain that. And it was just like, what the fuck is that? <laughs> this? Is, this is terrible. I've got to tell you, Artist Alley had like everyone mixed together and it was great. It was like small artists, big artists, like, you know, quietly tritonets to, you know, Portuguese artists who are doing mini comics, blah blah blah. Neil Adams was not an art Sally. He was on a different island, like slightly adjacent to it. It uh-huh. honestly was like so, either he or someone else who had been like, "Yeah, I don't want to be part of Art Sally." Mm. It was so strange. Mm. So, and I think this was follows up on my next question: is how many North American comic professionals were there? Like, Quietly was there, Neil Adams was there, Joel Jones was there, Mike McCone was there, mm-hmm. um, Charlie Adlard was there. Mm. Uh, one of the stranger experiences was getting – so I was I was staying in a hotel. And so I, my travel was booked by the organizers of the show, mm-hmm. which meant I was staying in the same hotel as all the comic creators, mm. which meant that when I got a shuttle to the show, as I did, right. like a couple, you were minutes, right there with the shuttle mm-hmm. with, for like on the first day, Mike McGon and Charlie Adler. Wow, um, which was really funny because 
Like, I recognize Ardlard, and I didn't recognize McCohen, who lives in Portland. Really? Right? Wow. And he's talking about living in Portland and hanging out at Heliosquip Studios, and he's got this really thick, shorty accent, and I spend the entire journey going, who the fuck are you? <laughs> like, I'm, like, there's got to be context clues. Who are you? Who are you? I'd only realize it like, as he gets to the show. Hmm. Um, I got the bus back that first night with Frank Quietly and his family. Wow. Yeah, it was, it was just, it was this weird, surreal thing. That it was like oh, this is weird. Um, the I was the day I was leaving. I'm I'm waiting to check out, mm-hmm. and I'm talking to another of the journalists, and, and it was before the show because I literally ended up going to the airport straight from the show. Um, and they were like, "What are you doing today?" And I was like, "Oh, the first thing I'm doing is a Frank Miller panel." And they're like, "Oh, you, you, like I basically had breakfast with him this morning." And I was like, "Really?" They're like, "Well, I didn't talk to him." <laughs> god no yeah oh no just because they were like like i can't like it's frank miller i can't talk to frank miller uh but it was very funny it was like oh yeah i forgot they're all here like azarella i think was there as well oh interesting uh yeah it was it was there was there was a a reasonable american contingent uh, or north american contingent yeah. Yeah. yeah and my next next question is um Editorial, because you have a better, strong sense of than I I would of seeing people and knowing, like DC editorial, say, Marvel editorial. No, I would, I wouldn't say anyone. That's not true. I know Steve Wacker was there only because Steve Wacker was actually moderating a panel. Ah, interesting. Um, but that's it. I didn't see anyone from DC editorial. I didn't see anyone from Marvel editorial. Um, Steve Wacker. <laughs> what's really funny is, um, Panini licenses mm. marvel DC. yes right and uh, dc i didn't realize that okay yeah mm-hmm. and uh and the panini booth was this really interesting thing which was uh, again think about san diego right think right. about I, I, like a uh a block of san diego real estate mm-hmm. it's it's the size of the panini booth and the panini booth is simultaneously like stage space so people can do presentations mm-hmm. and sales space so people can buy stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so on one of the days, I'd, I'm like, I'm just going to go and see what the comics look like, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, and the comics there are great. Mm. Like, they don't, they have a Superman monthly, but it's Superman and action comics. Mm. Right? Mm-hmm. And, and it's it's what we think of as comic books from our youth in its newsprint pages. Mm. Oh, wow. It's mostly covers, but it's newsprint pages. Mm-hmm. Right? Um they had a lot of collections, yada, yada, yada. But I leave there and Panini Editorial are doing a presentation for, of all things, Heroes in Crisis, Stop which I guess must, must just have started there. Wow. I, like, I, I don't know. I don't understand the timings because, like, they're do, they're doing something about um, Heroes in Crisis. But at the same time, like, Bendis' Superman is basically up to date from what I could see. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I don't know if things are being printed out of order or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was very, it was very weird and interesting. It's just weird to see like their tr- collections. I guess because it's different paper stock, mm-hmm. have the same number of issues as American collections, but are like half the width. Mm-hmm. What? Wow. Oh, yeah. huh. huh. That's really interesting. Yeah, it was really strange to see things like that. I, I, I loved it. That there was a they are doing a Kirby Fourth World series, mm. and I was just like, I kind of want to buy it. Like, yeah. I, Read it. I couldn't understand it, but I kind of want to buy it. That's awesome. You know, so it, it was things like that. Yeah, so I didn't see any American editorial. Honestly, 
given the creators who were in Art Sally, mm-hmm. they should send someone. Mm-hmm. Like, and surprising publisher should send someone. Mm-hmm. There was some genuinely amazing uh, creators there. Like, the talent on show from people who are just publishing or self publishing, even, mm-hmm. um, was, was shockingly good. Mm. Like, I really was incredibly impressed with the people there. Mm. Yeah, I, I like I said, like it was just it was just this amazing show. Mm-hmm. It was just this like really the entire experience was was great. Was was really, you know, sort of jaw dropping. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it, it it was. I mean, going to a comic con, especially working at comic con, is a very surreal experience anyway. Mm-hmm. Because because you're in a bubble, you really are. Mm-hmm. Like I, I I've said this to you before. When I work like a San Diego or New York, I basically say goodbye to the real world for that time. Yes. You know, like literally nuclear war could erupt and I wouldn't want to know about it right. because I'm you know, I'm going to the show first thing every morning and I'm working the show and then I'm coming back and I'm going to sleep at the end. Mm-hmm. I, um, but doing that in a foreign country where you don't understand the language mm. is – more so and somehow less so <laughs> it was a very very strange experience mm. uh i i felt very uh, I, I felt very disconnected from from you know the rest of the world mm-hmm. but also very connected with sao paulo if that makes sense yeah. part of it is um i started uh on the the second day so so I leave Portland on Tuesday morning mm-hmm. and I leave the house at 10 o'clock in the morning and I get to my hotel in Sao Paulo at 10 o'clock Sao Paulo time the next morning mm-hmm. um, to give you an idea of like, you know, thing. and they're five hours ahead. Mm-hmm. So that's like 17 hours. Coming back was much worse. Coming back, I was actually in transit for 24 hours. Oh, God. Um, but anyway, so I'm, I'm, I'm on, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm traveling there in 17 hours and I don't sleep on the flight. Mm. So I'm like kind of dopey and, and, you know, not great. And I get to the hotel room and I basically like collapse for two hours. And then by the time I get up, like I have to meet people to get passes and blah, 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 blah. So I'm just straight on. So, so my first day is kind of a wash. Mm-hmm. Um, and also not helped by the fact that I'm, by the time I get back to the hotel that night, I am deliriously tired. Mm-hmm. By which I mean, I, my eyes literally couldn't focus. Oh God! I was very dizzy. My eyes couldn't focus, and I was like, I have to just pass out. That I like, that's just what I have to do. You know, I, I even though we're five hours ahead, I know I'm going to sleep because I didn't sleep last night. I'm dehydrated. I think I'll just drink from the tap. That was a bad idea. Oh wow, Graham! Because an hour after falling asleep, I was awake and vomiting. Oh God! Oh yeah. Which was fun. But anyway, the next morning, like, I haven't had some sleep. I I wake up and there's, there, I, there's a few hours before I have to go in. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I'm just going to go for a wander. Mm-hmm. I just, I, like, I'm just going to go and walk with, with no purpose. I'm just going to go and walk and, and just get a feel for where I am. Mm-hmm. And I fucking love Sao Paulo. That's <laughs> fabulous. I, I wasn't sure what to expect beforehand. Mm-hmm. Um, I've never been there. I knew I wasn't going to speak the language. 
I was talking to to someone here in town who hasn't been, but her brother has been. Mm-hmm. And brother basically was like, it's actually kind of shady. Like, just watch out yourself. Don't, like, you know, just be careful. Huh. If you, if you, um, and, and driving in on the first day, I was kind of not really paying attention anyway. Mm-hmm. But we drove through very urban areas, by mm-hmm. which I mean, it's just motorway. Mm-hmm. And like high-rise buildings and that's it mm. right and i was like well this doesn't seem a walkable city at all mm. but um that day getting the shuttle to the, the convention for the first time we drive essentially down like a, a, a main strip like a, a, a strip full of stores and, and people walking about and i was like okay i can walk this 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 will be fine so that's why i decided to do the, the next morning and i go out and i just i love it like i just love it mm. I, I go out this this is wonderful. There's everything I need, and even though I can't talk to people, I can sort of like you know mime enough mm-hmm. to buy foods, and I'm you know generally I'm just like okay, I like I'm really enjoying it here. I'm very much enjoying it here. Uh, so I'm going to do this every day. I decide. Wow. Um, and I do. So the Thursday I do that. The Friday I do that. The Saturday. Um, I don't have a chance in the morning, and so I get back at night, and I'm like, fuck it, it's Saturday night. I'm just going to go for a walk. Maybe something fun is going to be happening. And the answer is yes. The bars all open up and are playing live music. Wow. So you're walking around the city, and like it's just live music playing. Mm. You know, and everyone's happy. And I'm just like, I love this. I love this place. That's fabulous. I, I, I'm just having this wonderful experience. Mm. Um, yeah, so it was. It was. It was a really, really, really good experience. That genuinely kind of feels like it spoiled me for other convention experiences because I had a good time in the city. I had a great time at the show, mm-hmm. and the organization of the show was so good, right? Um, that it, it put everything else to shame. Mm. Well, you know, so this is actually part of my question and it's probably, well, my previous questions were sort of building up to this and I, hmm, allow me to, uh, uh, um, preface my comments by saying that I feel that this, uh, theory of mine is, um, pretty without substance. Uh, I mean, I, I guess that goes without saying for most of my, uh, theories and opinions, but I was kind of curious it seems to me that that the one thing that kind of struck me about this show is you have the pros, you have the fans, you've got the organizers, but you kind of don't have the same comics editorial presence. Um, and so I think one of the things that I've, I found kind of interesting about the way that San Diego and other American comic cons have changed is that, of course, you know, the the media presence for TV and film companies and other things have grown, you know, um, exponentially to be able to present things to people. And a lot of people complain about comics sort of being shunted to the side. Uh, Mm -hmm. But one of the things that I find interesting in both New York Comic-Con and San Diego Comic-Con, and I'm sure this is something that you're well aware of and have noted uh, yourself, is that a lot of comics professionals 
come to the conventions as they were originally designed for in many ways to basically do business, to meet with editors, to pitch things, to nail down projects, to hustle for projects. And so how do I put it? Consequently, they, the, 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 the experience on the floor is a secondary consideration to them. I mean, it kind of is and isn't, if you know what oh, I'm but, saying. But again, is, is that the fault of the organizers or, or the the professionals? Well, right? Because right. because for me, what was superior about the show mm-hmm. was all in the hands of the organizers. But I guess what I'm saying is, is the organizers were essentially there to try and uh, uh, come up with a way that was built. Like it would be, it sounds like it's a show that it, in a way is built for the fans first. And so like yes. you said, there's a lot of ways to approach that that make it sensible for people attending the shows. Um, but the Comic-Cons in uh the usa a lot of them are are because they're doing double duty kind of i sort of feel like um there's there's degrees of hustle at comic cons you know and all uh, there's the guys in artist alley who don't have gigs uh, you know who don't have gigs with the publishers who might be do you know um they might, Who might try to get a job? Yeah, yeah. They might try to get a job, but also they're 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 usually they they can make they can make enough at a show to get by or thrive by doing commission work there by appealing sort of directly to the fans, and they're the ones who kind of uh, agitate if they can't have that access, I suppose. But because they don't, because they're just one thin slice of the show experience um and because they quote unquote rank below the concerns of publishers and the working pros and those people are many times not even showing up on the sh- on the show floor or only showing up for panels and signings and the rest of the time the business that they're doing isn't anywhere near the con floor but is happening mm-hmm. in a nearby hotel i'm mm-hmm. sort of wondering if uh, essentially like you said it's the organize it is up to the organizers but there is a lot of neglect on the part of the comic companies about comic cons here honestly i'm not sure i see what you're saying but i feel unprepared to say anything one way or another because i honestly have no idea to what level there was business going on in the, at the con because right. like I said, Panini was there. Mm-hmm. You know? Like, it's it's not as if there were not publishers there. There were. The Panini was only one of a number of publishers there from Brazil. Well, as you point out, so, Panini largely, at, at least with the North American context, um, republishes. You know, they license work from Marvel and DC. So, oh, sure, sure. Like, the, the North American creators are almost certainly not doing work there. Right. Right? Mm-hmm. But all the Brazilian creators... Mm-hmm. Like it's very possible they are, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. like I said, there were there were all these other publishers. So I don't know what level of business was being done there. Okay, so I, I you know I I'm not I don't feel comfortable being like yes yeah, the problem with American cons is it's a business thing. <laughs> and, you know, no, because I don't know how much of that is that is also true of CCXB. Right. Absolutely. You know? yeah. Um but where for me it's different is 
that this felt it did feel more fan facing mm-hmm. right it felt like it, the the structure of the show mm-hmm. was much more towards the the audience mm-hmm. as opposed to uh people networking or or for that matter even selling things mm-hmm. and don't get me wrong like netflix's booth was ginormous mm-hmm. far bigger than i've seen it at, at san diego mm-hmm. you know um, Amazon's presence felt bigger than San Diego. Mm-hmm. Warner Brothers was probably as big, mm-hmm. you know. But even those things felt more fan facing. Mm-hmm. Like Warner Brothers, the difference in and I, I kind of wish I'd taken more photographs of the Warner Brothers booths at at CCXP mm-hmm. because I would say in terms of square footage, it was as big as the one in San Diego. Wow, which is probably, enormous. Probably a, yeah, probably a little smaller to be honest, mm-hmm. but but it was very big mm-hmm. however what it was there for and the purpose it served mm-hmm. was very different um there were more photo ops for fans mm-hmm. there was a store in the middle of it mm-hmm. um An like, store. like a merchandise store in the middle yeah, of it right um but there was so, for example, the the one at San Diego was, you know, I mean, this ginormous booth, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Which you had hearers costumes from. I honestly don't. I think it was the Chris Nolan Batman films, mm-hmm. uh, and here's the couch from Friends, right? And here were big screens, and I, there was like a, a merchandise store there, but it was like a booth. It was a tiny little thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and the rest of it was like signing tables or there was an entire second floor which was for interviews or meetings mm-hmm. right and the at the at the Brazil show there was the casual friends but there was also this I mean genuinely ginormous Harley Quinn mallet that people could pose with there was a Wonder Woman 84 karaoke stage wow there was this massive. There was this massive um, store. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was like a supernatural pop up mm-hmm. that you could walk into. Like there was all these things that were much more fan facing. Mm-hmm. You know, there was no. I mean, maybe there was, but I couldn't see it. There was no stage for interviews. Mm-hmm. There was no meeting place. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and it just it just felt like oh no, this is this is something that might be sizable, like, comparable size wise, mm-hmm. but exists for a different purpose mm. uh the disney booth was all fan activations mm. you know you could watch shows of live performers from mulan or zipline at the mulan thing you could crawl through a, a maze of fake lasers that really just ribbons for black widow wow. uh you know all these and it but it was all like you could learn to there was like a lightsaber classes Oh, right, the lightsaber classes. I remember your photo of that. That's amazing. Um, but but again, it's all fan-facing stuff, right? right? As opposed to you go to San Diego and there's a, you know, a fuck-off Star Wars booth, which probably was the size of all of the Disney stuff at Brazil. But it's there. It's literally, here are some products. Would you like to buy it? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, it's a different thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, CCXP felt much more geared towards enthusiasts right. <laughs> going to be enthusiastic about something. Right. Wow. Imagine that. Now, and do you think, uh, I mean, it, it's perhaps, um, 
it's perhaps just enough that you went and came back and have been sort of uh, proselytizing about this being such a superior experience. But do you do you think um, American cons will follow suit, or does it seem? I mean, honestly, I I would love if they did. Mm-hmm. I kind of don't think they will. Mm-hmm. And really, I don't think that they will because why would they? Right. They kind of don't the, need to. The San Diego Convention Center and the Javits Center are filled to capacity as is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know? And honestly, it's not like there are other games in town. Mm-hmm. Like, they don't have to change. They're San Diego and New York. Right. Like, they're, they're going to get everyone going no matter what. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so... I wish they would. Mm-hmm. I don't think they will. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's what might happen and what might maybe not force a change, but precipitate a change mm-hmm. is um, I can see – you may or may not remember, but San Diego this year – or after San Diego, I should say. I was sort of talking about like it felt like the movie studios were pulling away. Right. At the Warner Brothers thing on Sunday at CCXP, one of their big announcements was Matt Reeves is already saying he's being, he's there next year for Batman. Mm, wow. And James Gunn comes up on video and is like, yeah, see you next year. Mm-hmm. And I think we're going to see more movie studios going. Mm. And if more movie studios go – and, and there's, you know, there's multiple reasons why movie studios would go there. Mm-hmm. Um, one – People might just want to fucking go to Brazil. Well, yeah, exactly. Just, I mean, like, it, mm-hmm. let's not wait. Let's not rule that out, mm-hmm. right? Um, but also, this shows in December. Nothing happens in December. Mm-hmm. Like, there, there, no one does. Like, I think the only trailer reveal besides one room in this month is in the Heights. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, um, so, so you kind of get space to things by yourself, mm-hmm. you know. And also, like I said, you have exceptionally enthusiastic fans. Yeah. Like genuinely enthusiastic fans. Really breathtaking, excited that someone is right there in front of them. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm, I'm not really speaking out of turn by saying almost all of the panels in terms of content were boring. <laughs> I thought the Birds of Prey panel, mm-hmm. it kind of felt like everyone was, had been given a fact sheet that says, tell everyone you're honored to be there. And that it was an honor to make this film because every single person on that stage talked about what an honor it was, that word honor, mm-hmm. to make the film. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you're like, you know, I feel like you're all on autopilot. But the fans didn't give a shit. Right. Because guess what? Marco Robbie's on stage in front of them. Yes, absolutely. Right? Right. And it was the same with Ryan Reynolds. Ryan Reynolds comes out and Ryan Reynolds is. It's honestly like giving it some good material, and they don't care. Right. They'll laugh as much at the bad material as they do the good material. Like, I genuinely love that he called the Michael Bay movie the Snyder Cut. <laughs> right? And they didn't, I don't even think they got it. <laughs> <laughs> That's really funny. You know, I, but like, but it's, it's this incredibly enthusiastic fan base. So for movie studios, there's a lot of 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 reason to go right, mm-hmm. um, but if they're if they pull away from San Diego or New York to do the show instead, mm-hmm. you're going to see something happen right. from the, the 
and chose. Sure. Whether it's this is what we're going to do mm-hmm. or not, I don't know. Hmm. Hmm. Wow. Well, that is that is fascinating. So I assume you would go back again if yes under similar circumstances. Yes. Right. Yes. Yeah. Um, I probably. Uh, I think I'd like to do a different travel arrangement. Mm-hmm. Uh, because twenty four hours coming back was a lot. Yeah, that's brutal. Like having done really that was. before, it is such yeah. a brutal way. And the funny thing was, my flight out, I had layovers, right? Mm-hmm. But somehow, all of my layovers turned into nothing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got to the airport, the first airport, uh, and I really thought I was going to get, I was going to have like an hour or so prior to board. But security was so bad that I didn't. I had maybe 20 minutes. Oh, and then when I landed in Dallas for my connection, mm-hmm. uh, the plane landed early taxied for so long that i almost missed my connection jesus um you know so so the things like that were just like i you know i thought i'd have time to relax and eat i don't <laughs> um so like that's the things that change mm-hmm. I, I, whether it's you know getting to where i have a connection and staying overnight or something i don't right. know what the, what the solution would be but also probably to be fair not traveling overnight if possible mm. would be great yeah exactly uh, because both flights were overnight flights. Obviously, the second one was, it was 24 hours. Mm-hmm. But um, the, I don't do well with that at all. Like, yeah. I, I never did. And now that I'm this age, I really don't. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, last night, I got back on Monday and last night, recording on Saturday. So Friday night was the first night I would say I slept anything resembling a normal night. Oof. Oh, Graham. I'm sorry. That's right. Uh, yeah, so that's you know that that is rough. That's it's it's kind of yeah. The travel part was rough, but again, I think that's just because like I'm old, and and I'm out of practice of traveling like that. Like this was the first time I've been abroad for for like first time I've been outside the U.S. for like six years. Wow. Um, but yeah, it, it that was rough. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that, that's that that's a flash rough. Well, I... Uh, no, I I'd go back. I go back in a second, and also, mm-hmm. like I, I, uh, I was talking to not the organizers, but the person who had organized my travel mm-hmm. before I left, and was basically like, "So, was this a success? And also, how do you know if something's a success mm-hmm. for this? Like, was it worth flying out journalists?" And he basically was like, "Oh, it's a success." <laughs> he was like, "Oh, oh yeah, the, no, that this this was this this did exactly what it's supposed to do." Oh, whether that means they will they will do it again next year, right. or whether like it was enough, whether it was like a one year to get it on the the map thing, right. I don't know. But I'd go back next year, yeah, one hundred percent. Wow, that's fabulous. That's uh, that's really glad, really, really heartening to hear, Graham McMillan, especially since it was such a strange, out of the blue sort of uh, thing, and you were kind of like, I don't think I'm gonna go. Why should I go? It oh, yeah, seems yeah. crazy yeah. and random, you know. So. Yeah, we, we never like. Did we ever actually properly? Oh, hang on. There's a dog bark. Um, did I ever talk about like the experience of the organization? Uh, I don't think so. Like you know, mm-hmm. hang on. I, I really am gonna have to tell a dog to shush. Okay, I'm back. You might have to edit that seeing as I muted myself while I shouted because yes. But but there you go. They're still going. They're still going. What's God. got what's got their uh, what's got their dander up? There's there's movement outside. 
okay, so what happened was this was a really last minute trip. Like, really last minute trip. I was not, not only was I not going, I didn't know about the show like two weeks before I went. Yes. Um, and I got asked by my editor basically, in theory, would you be interested in going to Brazil to go to a comic show? And I said yes, which was the right answer, mm-hmm. A, because it's true, and B, because I had a really good time. But when I said that, I didn't know that it was like two weeks from then. Mm. Because it was so last minute, I just didn't think anyone would do something like that last minute. Right. So I was thinking it was like, you know, next year. Mm-hmm. I was like, sure, of course. Well, I even <laughs> said, like, I'd have to check that my passport's still good because I don't know. <laughs> but I was like, sure, whatever. And, like, the next thing I heard was basically, okay, we're going to put you in touch with people who are going to organize your flight. And I had to go, wait, when? What? What are you talking about? <laughs> and, Jeff, you know this. Like, my travel was not finalized until less than a week before I was going. Oof, wow. Like, I did not know where I was staying mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. until, like, a few days before I was going. Yeah. Part of this complicate, complicated all was, like, Thanksgiving was the week before I left. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, th- like, I left four days after Thanksgiving. Oh, God. You know, which is nuts. Mm-hmm. Because, it, because it also means, that, like, I have to have everything organized for Thanksgiving. Right. <laughs> And right. then I didn't, which was the problem. Oh, really? So, so it was the day after Thanksgiving, and I still didn't have my hotel details at all. Mm. I didn't even have confirmation that I was definitely getting into the show. Mm. Right? Which was a concern. And the, it turns out, like, the organizers had sent all of that, but they'd also put a typo in my email address, so it went to an email address that didn't exist. Oh, boy. So I had to be like, hey, you guys, I don't have anything, uh-huh. and I'm really nervous and they were like we got a bounce back from you uh, they forwarded it and i was like yeah because you got my email address wrong. <laughs> and it was, it was like it was like a simple typo do you know what i mean it's literally like you know you type the letter and that's the keyboard right but yeah there was it was it was very last moment very mm. like you know oh okay so i'm going and this is happening but i literally don't know where i'm going to be mm. Mm-hmm. um which, you know, is, is, again, I've done with American shows, but it's less scary when it's in a country that you know you can speak the language of. Oh, absolutely, yeah. You know, because, like, literally, I mean, it's a few years ago now, but I've gone to San Diego and found out that they fucked up my hotel and I had no hotel. And I had to organize my own hotel immediately. You know? Right, which and you can do fine. because you can communicate. You speak the language, yeah, right, mm-hmm. exactly. But if I didn't, right. that would be much harder and that was the scary part the scary part was like the language barrier was very scary for me um and also i was very nervous uh completely paranoia like complete paranoia i was very nervous about re-entering the country and then being like hmm so we've seen your tweets and you're not a fan of the president and me being like but i am a citizen (laughs) and then yeah, I know, but you're a naturalized citizen, so what if we want to turn you away? I, I genuinely, like, that was genuinely a worry for me. Yeah, yeah, I get it. And I I wish that I could just laugh that off and be like, oh, ho, ho, Graham, but... Yeah, no, but, but that's yeah. just it. Like I said, it's paranoia, and I know it's paranoia. But it's one of those things where it's like, but I have also heard from enough journalists who have had people say, 
what do you write? Let's see your social media. Oh, you're not a resident. Like, I know that happens, people. People mm-hmm. I know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's one. it really is one of those things where it's like, okay, so I am a little scared about this. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I actually, I had a conversation with my editor about that, like, before I was like, okay, I'm definitely doing this. Mm-hmm. And I basically said, I'm scared about this, and I know it's silly, but I'm scared about this. And he basically did the well obviously you'd have the full backing of us um if that happened like he he basically said it's not going to happen but if it happened you'd not only have the full backing of of this company but we know that the studios who are presenting at the show right would also have something to say yeah and we really don't think that they want to go up against like warner brothers and disney and, and all these things and us like in a case where you've not done anything wrong, right? You know, because you are a naturalized citizen. Mm-hmm. And I, I had this moment of, you know, the world is weird. That I actually, no, the world is weird. That I actually do find some level of comfort in. You know what? I believe the administration doesn't want to go to war with Disney. Right. Right. You know, like there's there, there's a lot wrong there, but that did offer me some weird solace. <laughs> Ah, uh, under the mouse's watchful ear. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Um, yeah, but it was it like it, it, it was very last minute organization. Uh, as you can tell, like the last time we did a proper uh, episode of the podcast, mm-hmm. like we pretty much left it as we think we're back in two weeks. Well, see, that's it. You didn't even know then. Yeah, it was kind of like ah, right. Uh, no. right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like that. That that was the thing. Like there really was a. Yeah, we'll see what happens. <laughs> so the whole thing, um, I, and, and you know, it turned out really well. It really did, but it was also this really strange experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And and, and, and uh, overall positive experience, but like the show was great. Yeah, two weeks leading up to the show were actually kind of weirdly stressful. Oh yeah, totally. Um, and I, I'm, I don't know about you, but. I'm a really nervous traveler until I'm traveling. Mm, yeah, I know what you mean. Preparation mm-hmm. really stresses me out because I'm always like, oh, have I done this? Have I done this? Have I done this? But once I'm actually, like, even once I'm in the fucking car going to the airport, I'm pretty much like, okay, whatever happens, happens. Well, see, like, that's I it. Exactly. Switch yeah. really quickly. Yeah. But the lead up, I'm always like, I've probably forgotten something. Let me just have seven nervous breakdowns about this. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. I definitely, I definitely understand that. That's for sure. Um, wow. Well, that is an amazing Comic Con experience. Uh, so go to go to Sao Paulo next year. What? Yeah, yeah. Let's even get a wake-up panel. That will sure. happen. Very. Right? That would be <laughs> the funniest thing ever, especially because of the idea that there will be thousands of people who have no idea who we are who are just like, yeah, what. You but Jeff, really, like Henry Cavill walking station, literally, you'd have a room full of thousands of people going, Henry, Henry, that's what Henry, I'm saying, yeah. Henry. Like, imagine them just going, Jeff, 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 Jeff. That would be great. I do every night before I go to bed, Grun. I do. So, yeah, the idea of making <laughs> that come true is very, very, very exciting, very enticing. Did you purchase any comics while you were while you were there? You mentioned a few, I, like I, I want to, I did but. Not. No, okay. I did not. Mm-hmm. And honestly, the thing that kept me from that really was the I won't be able to read it. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is uh, funny. I, came I very, think we talked very about close, that. Mm-hmm. I came very close for a couple of the mini comics. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, it really was the I won't be able to read it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, element was was like considerable, mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. and then did did keep me from it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there were, there was also to be honest, I was planning on the last day on the Sunday to go by Arthur's Alley and get a lot of prints and stuff, and I just genuinely didn't have time on that right. day. Right. Uh, which was a bit of a bummer. There was a bunch of people who I wanted to pick stuff up on, and I was like, "I'll leave it to the last day." <laughs> Not realizing, horrible <laughs> idea, like that, because I because I knew I actually didn't know how many panels I'd have to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also foolishly thought that the hour I knew that I would not be in a panel, and it was literally an hour mm-hmm. that I would not be in a panel that day. Um, I thought that I could just go to Art Sally and everything, and didn't realize that. Maybe I'd want to eat. Oh yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like right. maybe because I that day, like I left the hotel at eight o'clock in the morning, mm-hmm. and then worked through to it ended up being three o'clock. Oof. Um, and and the idea of like maybe I'll want to eat during the, at that time had not occurred to me at all. Mm. Um, and and should have. So yeah, I actually was like, well, I, I you know what I should do. I should have like some water and I should eat. Right. As opposed to, to you know, I'll go buy Art Sally. Um, now, oh, I, one the one other thing I meant to yeah. say mm-hmm. when I was talking about like the wonderful organization, mm-hmm. food carts inside the hall oh, so was another thing that was great. Jesus yeah. God, yeah, that's great. Uh, oh, okay. So, uh, sorry. What I wanted to ask and was pretty quick and is. Uh, just to drag it a little more insider baseball-y in terms when you go to a Comic-Con in the U.S., you're usually doing it specifically on assignment for one or possibly yeah, even two for, of for, the outlets you normally co- cover. Um, always one. Mm, okay. Now, uh, because if some outlet is paying my way, They've bought my time. Ah, That's the way I look at it. Right. That seems fair. Okay. So you don't, you don't, uh, you don't. I don't, I don't cross the streams such as this. Smart. So while you were at the Sao Paulo show covering it, were you also responsible for your usual flotilla of um, other writing responsibilities? Yes. uh, That was bad. Ooh, that sounds very bad. I, I had. Yeah, I my workload was kind of nuts, mm-hmm. and I made a very bad decision, which was I was like, "Well, I'm traveling for 17 hours. I'll just knock knock a lot of that out on the plane." Mm-hmm. We should go wrong. I did, mm-hmm. but I didn't knock all of it out. Mm-hmm. And the fact that I didn't sleep on the plane, and then, like I said, I pretty much went collapsed for two hours, woke up, had to go straight to the show. Right, meant that I was pretty much from that point on, like on the entire time like i'd have like an hour where i would go out and walk right but with the exception of that i was working or i was at the show working Mm. um that was the thursday morning through to the saturday morning Mm. like just two days of fairly solid work um which was not great when i was also jet lagged yeah like it it was it was a bit much it it really was a bit much Mm. Mm. That that sounds pretty brutal, yeah. Oof, da. It was. Well, it's, it's also like it's one of these weird things. I was I was talking about this the other day. Um, the end of the year is really strange work wise, deadline wise. Mm-hmm. 
I'm, it's weirder this year because Brazil Comic Con kind of ate up a week of December. Right. But the things like the best of the year, best of the decade lists don't go away. So you just have to do them like later. Right. But also, this week, Jeff, mm-hmm. which is the last full week for Christmas, it's also the week that a new Star Wars film comes out and the week that the HBO Watchmen show finishes and Doomsday Clock finishes. Oof. Wow. There's a trifecta. Oh, that, for that matter, Tom King's Batman finishes as well. Oh, wow. Um, So it's full of stuff, for want of a better way of putting it. Mm-hmm. You know? Uh, so there's a weird, like, added workload, additional workload happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's it's really like if you look at my week ahead, uh, just like the various deadlines and stuff, it gets to this really weird point where Thursday night or Thursday evening, I'm going to see Star Wars, mm-hmm. right? Friday morning, I'm watching The Mandalorian. Uh, right, because you're doing weird, the recaps, right? right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, it's, it's not even recaps. It's literally like we watch in case there is something. And like I haven't even written anything on the show for a oh, while. Oh, okay. But it's, honestly, like it's – have you watched it or do you watch it? No, no. We don't have Disney Plus, no. Yeah, it, it's uh, it's one of those things where like recapping kind of feels like a fool's errand because it's not a show. I feel recaps work for a serialized show. Sure. And The Mandalorian is like – determinately not a serialized show. Oh, interesting. Oh, <laughs> you know okay. what I mean? Like it's, it's literally like, you know, on this week's episodes. Right. So like, it's almost it's, like a throwback. I think so, I think I saw oh, someone on very, Twitter very, say that. Yeah. yeah. Very purposely a throwback. Yeah. And it's not. Like there is a there, – there, there are themes going through it. There are things going through it. But it's it's presenting as a throwback. Right. And so like there really are things where I'm like a recap doesn't really work. Right. And also there's lots of things about that show, but I'm not going to derail myself. Um, No, but it's this weird thing where like uh, I'm writing a piece for Wired, uh, literally talking about the HBO show and Doomsday Clock finishing in the same week. Right. And the similarities and differences between them. Oh man. Graham. We'll get on to Doomsday Clock soon jeff oh good will. in this episode i've read the last issue oh, already um, and i'm not going to spoil anything but i do want to talk about it like around the corner ish if that makes sense mm-hmm. um but yeah so i've got that due uh i've got uh another thing for wired due on monday i have the regular stuff for wired due on thursday mm-hmm. there's all the thr stuff on top of that there's a star wars film coming out like it's just as weird like all of this plus like i kind of have to hand in the best of year and best of decade lists right right and it's not just the best of year you also have to do best of decade which is i honestly i did not really want to do best of decade and i've been asked to do a best of decade oh i'm sorry to hear it so it's like, like oh just best of lists are weird at the best of times mm-hmm. and best of decade is really weird mm-hmm. um yeah so but i have a fairly good list oh good I, I feel fairly confident about my list. Mm. There's one thing that I don't, but I'll get onto that later as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so it's just a really heavy week. So December will just be really odd for me this year because there's normally like a rhythm, and this month is going to Brazil. There's just not a rhythm at all. Yes, yes. This rhythm is completely screwed. Mm. I feel like there's a really, um, I want to say good, but let's just leave it at, potentially offensive joke to be made about Brazilian rhythm, but... 
Yeah, okay, let's just leave it there. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. I think I'm thinking we'll just leave it there. Graham, you seem to really uh, have command of the the con, as it were, this uh, this episode. Not that I'm complaining. So, where do you want to go next? What do you, what what uh, what do you want to talk about next? Uh, I I'll talk about the best of list and really the thing that I didn't don't have, feel like I'm completely on top of. Okay. Um, I I feel pretty good about my best of of the decade list. Mm-hmm. Um, I've gone. I I like I literally made the list two weeks ago, mm-hmm. maybe slightly before that when I was asked, and I've just gone back and like taken stuff out a lot mm-hmm. uh, because it very much started as like my favorite things of the year of the decade, mm-hmm. and I and I wasn't happy with that. Mm-hmm. I was like, no, they're like there's stuff that is not my taste. But deserves to be on this list. Like I just know it deserves to be on this list. So like you know this comes out, this goes in, blah blah blah. Um, and I wrote up what I thought was the final thing. Mm-hmm. Um, on uh, I when I was away, I guess because I, I I really was writing the introduction when I was coming back. Uh, when I was on the way back, and I was just like, I looked at the list and I was like, there's literally no manga on this list. Mm. There's literally none. Mm. And that means the list is wrong. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that simple. Mm-hmm. That means the list is not right. Mm-hmm. There's because there's no way, literally no way, that not one manga book makes it on the top ten best books of the decade. Mm-hmm. Literally zero. Right. That's, right. Um. So I, I tweeted out. I was like, you know, okay, if you had to choose one book, one manga from the last decade. To be the best of the decade, what what would it be? And I also partially did it just because I was like, I need to read more of this. Right. Like I just like this is this is a, this is a blind spot for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I and I want to read more. Like I want to to have more experience with it. And a bunch of people re- re- replied with various responses. Mm-hmm. Um, and I kind of wish I'd actually kept a note of them, as opposed to literally just like what I did was go through a bunch of things. Um, like grab basically grab uh, titles as people were suggesting things. Mm-hmm. Um, and I but I I read a bunch, so I'm I'm like this is happening on the plane back, and so I go to Comicsology and I just buy a chunk of it. Mm-hmm. Things that people are doing because again I, I I'm on a 24 hour flight. Right. Right. So I'm like, fuck, why not? Like I have Wi-Fi. I'm just gonna read some of this now. Yes. And it was a really interesting eye-opening experience. Um. For a few reasons. One, seeing my own prejudices, mm, mm-hmm. like very laid bare before me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That there's things that people are like, oh my god, I, like this is the best. And like legitimately meaning like this is one of the best comics of the decade. Right. And I'm reading it and I'm just like, this is trash. <laughs> like this this just reads like it reads formulaic. Uh, it reads like it, it there's no nuance to the writing at all there, you know, I'm not seeing anything particularly exciting about the artwork. Do you know what I mean? Like, hmm. I mean, this is trash is strong, mm-hmm. but, but really being like, I don't get why you'd say this is the best of anything. Right. Like this is fine, but it's fine. Mm-hmm. Like there's nothing here that people would say are the best of. Right. Um, it was very interesting seeing the names that kept coming up mm-hmm. a lot. Um, Delicious and Dungeon came up. A lot. Yeah, I noticed that in your Twitter like thread. Yeah. A lot of people were suggesting that. Yeah. Um, 
Goodnight Pun Pun came up a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, there was another one that came up like a bunch of times. I can't remember. Um, oh, Witch Hat Atelier. Mm, yeah, that's right. And right. Came mm-hmm. up a, a bunch as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and reading those, and again, like, you know, Delicious Dungeon is cute. Mm-hmm. But I mean, so like, you know, I don't, I feel like it's, I feel like it's the best because it's playing off of tropes I don't get. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, I think it's I I I sense that it is smart, but it is smart in relation to references that I am not aware of. Mm. You know, it's like you know someone saying, "Isn't the multiversity great?" And someone who's never read a superhero comic being like, "Sure, yeah, right, exactly." I you know? guess like, so. Yeah. I yeah, maybe mm-hmm. it is. Mm-hmm. I don't get it. Um, <laughs> Uh, it was interesting seeing names that like I was familiar with. Uh, the other thing was like I basically said like I I am I have a blind spot, but I don't like I have read some stuff. Mm-hmm. So people like suggesting things that I have read right. was also an interesting thing for me to be like okay, so this is this is where like my mindset because I do my best of list as currently stands is like top ten and then honorable mentions, which is another ten. Right, and I have manga titles in my honorable mentions. Mm. Um, and it was interesting seeing some of those show up on the on their on people's like you know this is definitely the best list. Mm-hmm. Um, someone suggested Pluto, which I can't quite like. I can't let myself put in the list because mm-hmm. only the last two volumes came out this decade. Oh wow, Graham, that's it, a tough, harsh. Because like, Pluto was amazing, like genuinely amazing. Yeah, but only the last two volumes came out. And so, like, does it really belong in the list? Wow. Because, again, those last two volumes are fucking amazing. Mm-hmm. But are they fucking amazing out of the context of everything else? Do you know what I mean? Like, I, I really, like I, I'm really struggling with that. Because Pluto is genuinely one of the best comics I've ever read in my life. Mm-hmm. But, again, if it's only the last two volumes, and, I, and also, it's the last two volumes came out in the U.S., like right. it was created as a whole the decade before, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know. So like I really, like I really am struggling. Mm-hmm. Um, um, seeing people suggest things like my brother's husband, my lesbian experience with loneliness. Um, like I love those books, mm-hmm. uh, but part of me is also, and, and also to be fair, like both of those are on the honorable mentions as is. Yeah. Um, but it's funny to be like. You know, how much of, of people's manga experience has to do with, like, the cultural expectations mm. of it? Um, how much of it is, like I said, like, referencing tropes that I'm unfamiliar with. Mm-hmm. So you don't get, like, why it's so good. Mm-hmm. Um, but then the other thing is, like, I discovered, like, one of the things I did read. It turns out to be one of the, like, favorite things I've read this year, uh, which is Tokyo Terror Girls. Oh, really? Oh, which, wow. Like, amazing. Like I would love with that. Oh, that's fabulous. Like, that just strikes me as like such a good comic, mm. and like such a smart, funny. Again, playing with tropes, but it's tropes I do understand. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like even within, even if you don't understand the tropes, the pacing of the writing there is great. The way it it, it plays against its own expectations, the way it explains itself and unpacks itself. I was like, this is just a masterful work. This this definitely belongs on the list. Right. But it was funny. Like that's the one that got me. If that makes sense. That is really funny. You know, because yeah. I mean, I was, we're like, you know, One Punch Man. And I'm like, One Punch Man is fine. I don't get it. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't. Same with My Hero Academia. I'm like, okay, 
sure like I, it's someone also oh god where's the one that someone suggested and i literally was like mm, like i i feel if i was maybe 20 years younger i would get it mm-hmm. god i can't find i honestly can't find the, the list now oh hikaru no go oh yeah i i read it and i was like nope <laughs> like, <laughs> like just nope i just i just don't wait did that hikaru that didn't even come out this decade did it uh, I maybe it did. They definitely, I read it as a result. Let me check if it actually oh. came out this decade. Um, let's see. I'm now looking right. up the Wikipedia page. No, it didn't. Yeah, that's why I was like, "Wait a minute, hold no, on." I'm publication dates of the of the original. Uh huh. Yeah, it's 2011, so it's the same as as um, Pluto. Really? Holy shit! Huh. I'll be damned. Um, yeah, it, so it's it's yeah, it's things like that were weird. Um, so Tokyo Tariba Girls is is in the running. That's good night pun. It's definitely in the running. Mm, mm-hmm. um, because holy shit, um, I kind of feel like I need to read more Delicious in the Dungeon, just because so many people were so emphatic about it. Right. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, but honestly, like it, it again, it was cute, but it didn't do much beyond feeling cute to me. Mm. Um, but I, like I said, like so many people suggested it. Mm-hmm. That was like, I, there must be something. Like there must be something I'm missing because mm. I don't like I don't understand. So I, I've got to keep going. Um, and Pluto, I don't like. Like I said, I think there's all these reasons not to include Pluto, even though like it did. Tech like part of it did technically come out of this decade, mm. so we'll see. But no, it was just it was a fascinating. Uh, it was a fascinating experience, basically going, okay, what's all your favorites, and then I'll read them. Right? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I I've I been mean, like, okay, you guys know better than me. Mm-hmm. Like, what would what would yours be? Like, what is your best manga of the last ten years? Because uh, I don't respond to the thread without suggesting anything. Uh, 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 what what would be my suggestion? What's yours? I don't know. You know, it's kind of funny because because there's this stuff that I don't necessarily kind of like you were saying, like that I don't it, that doesn't necessarily jibe with me per se personally. But like, I'm kind of hoping that someone suggested One Piece to you. You know, because that anyone did, which is which is which I sort of makes me think that your sample set is kind of semi skewed. And I mean, you know, I, I I got a really interesting response from Chris Butcher actually. Oh yeah, what did he say? He said Delicious Dungeon, and then he was like, "One book is is uh, is really limiting." Mm-hmm. And I was like, "Yeah, intentionally." Mm-hmm. And he he responded with, "It's interesting because I tried to pick something you'd like rather than something I think is the best." Mm-hmm. And then he said, "Levius." Um, interestingly enough, it was this weird passive aggressive thing. Levius just came out; has the kind of art that would excite North American comic fans. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Um, which still feels like he's avoiding the "What do you think is the best?" Which was what I asked. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it, it's like it, I. It was very interesting to me that he said, uh, I was trying to suggest something you'd like rather than what I thought was the best. Because I specifically asked for the best. Mm-hmm. You know? Right. 
Well, I okay, so I I actually do like Delicious in in Dungeon. Um, I got to admit, I also trailed off on reading and need to come back to it. Um, so it'd be hard for me to be like um, uh, to to really um, be like, oh yeah, it's definitely the best. But I can see in some ways some of the things that maybe I have some insight into why people would like it, and maybe. It wasn't your thing, I suppose, you know? I mean, Delicious Dungeon honestly has a lot to overcome with me. Mm-hmm. I, I don't like fantasy. Right. So, you know, so it's, it's like, it's working, it's relying on a lot of, uh, of it's not even genre tropes, because it is, but what I mean is like manga tropes. Like it's, it's, right. it's working on a lot of things that are, that are part of the language of manga right. that I either don't get or don't like. But on top of that, it's in a genre I don't really like. Well, see, that's it. I think it's at the intersection of... Of, of like, stuff I'm not interested yeah, in. Yeah, exactly. Of not yeah, Graham yeah. and not Macmillan. It, it, yeah, yeah it, it is a really, really tough sell for me. Right. But it's, which is so funny, because so many people are like, it's the best. And I'm like, oh boy, if you knew how hard this is for me to read. <laughs> <laughs> well, but I also think there's a lot of... Like you said, there's... The, okay, so there's... There's the stuff that falls for you within the realm of um, fantasy, which isn't your thing. You don't play video games, so you're not really on the RPG side of things. Right, exactly, exactly. You know, um, I think there's a uh, two aspects that I think are particularly um, tied to manga that the more you read it, sort of the deeper it goes, is... um, Eh, how do I put it? Like that, I feel that one of the things that Delicious and Dungeon also has going on is the there's a little bit of turning expectations on their head. But the uh, I think the best way to say this, if and I'm clearly doing a bad job, is I sometimes think that part of the reason why uh, the RPG genre plays very well or exploded so uh, hugely in Japan is that Japan has a, a sort of a much more strongly codified social structure and social system. And mm-hmm. RPGs traditionally are, you know, the R stands for role. It's role-playing games. But people have, you know, quote-unquote assigned roles. And... I think the more that you, I, at least for me, the more that I get a sense of uh, I manga, a lot of times there is the the humor and the delight and the playfulness with manga frequently comes in terms of, like you said, taking the expectations of the role that's expected and then subverting it. So. Yeah. Uh, so I think I think there's a certain amount of that in Delicious and Dungeon in terms of like, oh, this is the way that this um, magic user is supposed to be, but she's actually different. Or, you know, here's a person who's supposed to be like an, uh, a fighter who's only interested in honor and all he really wants is a good steak sandwich, you know. And, and uh, those sorts of bits sort of seem... Uh, very, I guess, silly, I suppose, um, or 
deeply, I guess, uninteresting, but I think sometimes there can be a, the more you read it, the more that sort of thing, uh, like you said, may, you can see not so much the nuance of it, but you, you appreciate it more. Well, yeah, you, you, well, more than anything else, like you understand it better. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you know right. what I mean? Like, even if you don't like it, you can understand it and understand it. Like, it's, it's, right. you right. know, you again, to go back to like, even if you don't yeah, like again, it. to go back to like, you know, Morrison yeah. stuff. Yeah. There's a lot of stuff that Morrison, it, like, where it just, like, objectively is not good, mm-hmm. but because you understand the concept, it's easier to write it off as well. You're sure. like, oh, this doesn't work for me, but it's fine because I know he's actually referring to blah, blah, blah. Right, right. Um, and then finally, the other thing is, uh, one of the things I like about manga is uh, manga's very, very close to being, um, you know, there's always a strong, uh, uh, s- simultaneous to the strong elements of silliness. There's also a lot of educational elements. You know, mm-hmm. it's like these guys work with experts and researchers or you find things, you know, is one of the things I was losing my mind over in like Finland saga, for example. Uh, Delicious in Dungeon is really funny in, in that it is a cooking manga, but it's all about cooking up imaginary animals yeah. or monsters. But the nutritional concepts and aspects are um, basically pretty strong so there's a lot of things about like understanding fats and proteins and sugars in in terms of it their ability to nourish like there's that little sort of um matrix that every animal that or monster that they catch and eat has in terms of where it falls for what it's good for and so the thing that's to me kind of insane is unlike something like say uh tobiko 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 which is you know um a food manga where people are catching and eating imaginary food creatures that are literally created and sent in um by readers where it's it's super super whimsical um, Delicious and Dungeon manages to be whimsical and yet also genuinely educational while being still uh, strongly fantasy-based. And that's that's a very surprising and musing and pleasing um, synthesis that is not easy at all to pull off. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So... Um, so that's, that's what I would say. I like, like I said, I still sort of wandered away from Delicious and Dungeon. Uh, as you know, uh, actually the, the same writer and artist of, uh, Tokyo Tarabara Girls, um, is doing the absolutely fabulous, hello, where are you? Blank Canvas, my so-called artist journey. Um, yeah, I, I actually I know that it's it precisely because uh, oh God, who someone told me that and I can't remember who it was. Who are a number of people actually recommended Tokyo Terror Girls to me mm-hmm. uh, in the end. I'm one of them, and I genuinely can't remember who it was. I was like, oh, and she's also doing Blank Canvas and Princess Jellyfish. Am I yeah, remember? Princess Jellyfish. That's yeah. absolutely right. Yeah, Kiko Higashimura, and I I really do adore Blank Canvas. Um, the third volume came out recently, and and those three volumes have been some of my favorite reading. So much so that Princess Jellyfish, which didn't really fry my burger for the first volume, is like I a really want to go back to it, and also think that um, 
I've got a lot of background in synthesis as to I think why I'll why it'll be uh, easier for me to appreciate. But mm-hmm. but I think there is a lot to be said for like uh, One Piece, not necessarily my cup of tea per se, or I sort of trailed off after the first eighteen or twenty volumes. But like, n- not only does that thing sell bajillions of copies not only does it continue to sell bajillions of copies like 90 plus volumes in but it's it's a it's a i don't necessarily think it would be your thing but i also think that at the same time you could look at it and be like oh i see why this has a lot of appeal because sure you know, but, but again, like I, there's for me, there's a big difference between I see this as a lot of appeal, and this actually is something I would I could, can make an argument for being one of the best of the year. Well, again, but it's or, best, well. See, it, at that point, there's kind of a little bit of the in a way, it's a super safe pick because as a best, um, you know, it's kind of a steamroller. Like it's so huge, you can actually pick it as the best, and people are like. Oh, that makes a ton of sense. In in other words, um, you don't actually have you can pick it without having to have a particularly strong opinion on it. And everyone's yeah. going to be like, there will be a very strong contingent that is going to be like, oh yeah, absolutely, and also kind of like, uh, you, you make a good you make a good case for this. You know, I mean, just in in the sense of like it's it is you know it it kind of be like if you if uh, back in the seventies if someone had asked you to pick like the best movie of the decade and you were like kind of like uh, I don't know Jaws or Star Wars everyone's going to be like well tough but fair you know what I mean like you know but you're sort of trying to get into that area of like okay tell me what the best manga of the year is. And, and trying to pick something that's more like, I don't know, like The Godfather or Chinatown or, you know, no, yeah, but Dog not, Day Afternoon. But again, I, I'm not sure I am. Because again, Tokyo Tariba Girls, I don't think is that. Mm-hmm. It's something that like I read and I on, on every level it works. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like I, the argument. And part of it is something like One Piece is, is in uh, almost more things that I do not like than Delicious Dungeon. Right. Like, Delicious Dungeon is a lot of things I either don't get or mm-hmm. don't care for. Right. Whereas, like, the frenetic tone of One Piece is actually a turnoff for me. Oh, interesting. Huh. Fascinating. I I ended up having difficulties with it after a while. Um, I, I think, for me, there was... a like I said, I made it like 18 to 20 volumes into One Piece and there was a certain point where I felt like I was, I felt like the it was already on a treadmill for me Um, and uh, but clearly that's not the case for for For, billions of other people. But at the same time, like I think think the freneticism, I don't really know enough, I mean, like after the fact, I know that uh, the the artist was, you know, a big fan of uh, uh, Toriyama, um, who did, you know, Doctor Slump and Dragon Ball. And looking is, it's you can kind of be like, oh, see that synthesis. But for me, I thought apart from the freneticism, there was a lot of, uh, how do I put it? To me, the thing that I thought was really interesting about One Piece and would have made it noteworthy in a lot of ways is the the fights um 
the artist goes and has um like he chooses a different dimensionality kind of thing. Like, you know how like Jack Kirby really sort of changed the face of superhero comics by being like super, like literally in your face, like having people just kind of jump right out at you, you know, that sort of Captain America pose that everyone loves where he's flying forward with his fist. Like the creator of one fit of one piece sort of does that, but in reverse. So it's like everything's fight, all the fighting sort of happening in a, in a left to right horizontal axis. And then suddenly someone gets some crazy super punch, but then it's like further back into the panel. Like there's suddenly this weird, it's like he's breaking the fourth wall in reverse, you know? Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. There's stuff there that I just really I I have a lot of uh, appreciation for, but I mean I'm also 21 volumes into Initial D, which uh, didn't even come out this century. I mean probably by the time it finished, but you know I, I'm still marveling at it because in part because it still looks like something that you know someone was going to get a C plus in class for trying to draw instead of paying attention to their school subject, you know. So yeah, it, it's just like you know things like the Francis and One Piece, and honestly, I, I feel like uh, My Hero Academia and One Punch Man are, are too much for me as well. Mm. It's kind of what I mean when I was talking about you know seeing your own biases very clear, right? Because like it's I, I'm very very clearly met with it's not for me. Mm. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? And I'm mm-hmm. like I can recognize that other people like this, but I like this stuff is is so not for me mm. that I find it so hard to get over. Mm. Interesting. Well, I you mean, know, it's, yeah. mm-hmm. it's such an interesting experience reading, whereas like I objectively know that mm. this stuff is good, mm-hmm. but it is so not my taste that I almost have to keep willingly reminding myself. Right. Well, what I find fascinating to, uh, to that is is that there are lots of things in the manga that we've mentioned. I mean, apart from maybe the high silliness factor that I feel pops up in superhero comics a lot. You yeah, know? exactly. But and we've talked about this before. Mm-hmm. You when you have basically grown up on that shit, yes, you overlook a lot of it. Right, like it it, it becomes background noise. Right, and when when you're faced with like a version of it that is just slightly outside of that comfort right. zone. You're like, this is you're, completely you're, weird. You're, well, yeah, you're weird. very yeah. aware of it. Right. And you're like, I'm aware of it and I don't like it. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, you know, it's literally one step to the left of the thing that you've learned to tune out. Right. Right. I, you know, I, I, I hope that this means, cause I'm also worried about running out of time that we can talk a little bit about, uh, dark Knight returns the golden child. Uh, oh yes, let's let's do that now. Because uh, because I did pick I did it up not, specifically I, because of your your uh, mention of it online. Yes, I did not expect to like that at all, mm-hmm. and I genuinely was floored by how much I loved it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, as you mentioned, uh, Raphael Grandpa uh, Grandpa. I don't know how to pronounce his last Grandpa, name. I, I've always said Grandpa. Could be wrong. Yeah. Uh, and uh, Jordi Belair on the colors. Uh, the art is phenomenal. Like, oh, it's it it's such a good looking book. It's insane. Yeah, there there I mean, is shit there. Holy shit. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. I do think that it's I it, you know it is very much a complete whole package. Like there's parts where for me the 
colors so entirely, um, you know, help heighten the reference. But I do want to say one of the things I find uh, stunning and surprising about it is it is it's it's not it's not Frank Miller is channeled through Brian Azzarello or it's, oh no it's it's like it's shockingly Frank Miller yeah and it is um I think for myself uh, although there's some weirdnesses there I think part of what makes uh it work for me and I was curious if you would feel the same is is that uh the Dark Knight Returns the Golden Child is the closest I've seen to Miller doing a Jack Kirby comic. Yes. I did. In fact, in particular, I kept on thinking because of the Dark Side stuff. Yeah. It is the closest I've seen to like a Jack Kirby comic in a long time as well. Yes. Well, see, I think that's his it. Dark Side is shockingly Kirby. Yeah, I, I, absolutely. Oh, very much so. And And how do I put it? At that point, I think... Once, once that filters in place, um, every... Miller makes more sense. Yes, so much yes. more sense yeah. in this book as as doing a Kirby as doing that same Kirby uh, over the top. What seems is mm-hmm. a kind of um, not not eschewing nuance but nuance not really being the point oh yeah yeah nuance is no yeah it's not about nuance so but also like he's really channeling kirby for me in the like the forever people where the forever people is very much like you know the kids of the future yes like that's here as well yeah oh like absolutely. It's literally like carrie and lara and mm-hmm. and and jonathan like are are pure or are powerful perhaps yeah because they don't buy into everyone else's bullshit yes yeah absolutely you know? and like that felt very kirby as well oh, it did it felt, like incre- it felt like an incredibly kirby comic yeah and also it felt like a kirby comic in the same way because and i you know i don't want to spend too much time on this but basically like outright going yeah donald trump is 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 the face of fascism yeah, you know, or or the face of chaos that undermines people's faith in humanity. Right, um, was done so matter of factly and mm-hmm. without spending a lot of time on it. Right, that it felt very Kirby as well. Right. Well, and, do you know what I mean? Yes. Yeah, and I think I think that may actually be part of what I appreciated is the meaning for. In this, what's that? Trump isn't named in this comic at all. No, no, no. His no, no, face no. is there. He he talks, and it's unmistakably Trump. Right. Also, the Joker's jacket is maybe my favorite reference in the entire thing. Oh yeah, yeah. Which what's he yeah, at yeah. the back? Like mm-hmm. you saw the thing at the back, right? Where he he's wearing a I really don't care to do you jacket, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which is great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's 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 absolutely. It's just. I really enjoyed it a ton. And like I said, for someone who, uh, I wasn't expecting it. I really wasn't. No, exactly. I, yeah. I, I basically written Miller off. Mm-hmm. I really had. Mm-hmm. And I was like, this book's going to look great, but it's going to read like shit. Right. And no, it's great. Yeah. It's such an over-the-top, exciting superhero comic. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yes, exactly. And And like you said, like we both said, it's very Kirby esque and in a in a way that is um 
I don't know, that really kind of recasts Miller in a light for me. I don't know if it's necessarily a one-off in that sense. I, I literally have no idea if this issue is a one-off. Is it? Is it, or is it so part I, of a thing? Yeah, Do you know? Theoretically, it's a one-off, but okay. I, I, the Brazil, the, Brazil, uh, the Comic-Con, Miller's there, Grandpa's there, they're talking about the book, and they end by basically agreeing to do another one. It could have been a bit... It might, there might not be a second book coming out, right? But they ended on stage by being like, "Yeah, let's do it again." Right, right. It's um, uh, honestly yeah. like I, I'd be thrilled to see them do it again. Oh, absolutely. Like it's, it's, it really. As someone who read Dark Knight Three and was like, "Wow, like the, you know, it's fine, but it's like it, it kills the Dark Knight franchise." Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's literally just fine. It turns it into another superhero story. Right. For this to be the next chapter. Mm-hmm. Like this feels, and I'm not a big fan of Dark Knight, mm-hmm. but this feels like the best of Dark Knight and the best of Dark Knight Two mm-hmm. combined. Yeah, yeah. I like it's so it's it's electric. It's mm-hmm. genuinely where the fuck did this come from? Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, yeah, and it it is. It's also yeah, like like Kirby Miller has ended up in this very strange position of being like at the center of the industry and, and, and seeming like a genuine outsider artist, you know Mm -hmm. what I mean? And in, in all the senses of that term, you know, it really, there was something about this that felt very, um, absolutely couldn't be anything else but its own thing and was the richer for it. Even as you saw the influences and the, again, the, Kirby stuff, but yeah, it just it it knocked me on my ass. So A, I it wanted really, to thank really you for did. the recommendation and B also kind of shout it out really quickly because that was that was a stunner of a of Yeah, a no, book. it's it's nuts. What's really interesting is um I also read it and was like, it's nuts to me this is the same man who did Batman Holy Terror. Right. Like it's 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 insane to me that this mm-hmm. is the same creator. Right. Um and so I, I looked into it, and I realized I didn't realize that like last year he gave an interview where he was basically like, "Yeah, Holy Terror was a mistake, and I was in a really bad place when I made that book, and I regret it." Mm-hmm. 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 Like I, I, I missed all of those comments. Well, you know, uh, it's funny because I saw at least a few of them, and I sort of, uh, and this is perhaps unfair. I just sort of assumed it was spin. You know? Yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, it was they were, it was a very unpopular comic, and he he was became very. Um, he became a polarizing figure in, in a different way as a result of that comic. Yeah. But reading this comic now, reading mm-hmm. Golden Child now, like I believe it. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? There's something. There is something about the attitudes in this that feels almost like a reaction to what was being espoused in the Holy Terror. Like it, it, there's something. I don't know. There's something about it where I'm like, okay, I, I can see that he might actually re- regret it. Well, you know, it's kind of funny because I don't it, – it just – it feels um, – again, it just it just feels like uh, – I don't, I don't want to say that, it, that, that, that the book is more nuanced because it absolutely isn't. I oh, think, no, yeah. It's, it's 100% not. <laughs> I, I, think, I think what actually helps for me is, is that um, – Miller is, for example, something something like Holy Terror, for example, I think the thing that is screwball about 
Miller is he has an incredibly strong um, anti-authoritarian streak, which he ends up um, expressing through fascistic and authoritarian leaning imagery and fantasies. Right. So it's kind of uh, I, I feel like it was like a bajillion years ago, but somebody around the first or second issue of Dark Knight and God help me, it wouldn't surprise me if it was Gary Groth in the comics journal uh, described Frank Miller as your typical mugged liberal, you know, and which was astute because, I, you know, Miller had talked in interviews about actually being mugged in New York way back when, yeah, when yeah. doing Daredevil and drawing very strongly a lot of that frustration for Dark Knight. But I think what what I like about the Golden Child is um, the rather than trying to tie it, like for a long time, the closer that uh, Miller got to trying to point at the specific root of authoritarianism that he found wrong or the specific areas of things that he found uh, untrustworthy, the stronger it looked like he was yelling about, you know, minorities oppressing him or the, you know, what he saw as the fascistic elements, uh, the authoritarian aspect of the Muslim religion based on, you know, essentially the American civilization's uh, great mugged liberal event, you know, 9-11, you know. And I think the Golden Child manages to strip out all of the triggering specificity and putting it precisely the way that Kirby did, where it's like, the young is the new is life and is good. And the old is authority, which is oppression and is stifling. You know, I mean, the golden child is not even necessarily an internally um, consistent or rational comic on it. I think even on its own terms, like, Oh yeah, sure. Yeah. No, 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 no. It's, it's again, one of the ways it feels Kirby ish mm -hmm. is it's emotionally consistent. Yes. Exactly. As opposed to like logically consistent. Exactly. Exactly. But, but what he manages to find and summon is like you said, elements of the forever people in the, you know, in this next generation of the heroes that he has crafted and, you know, in dark side having, you know, and even the Joker as the Joker, you know, ages and becomes like the, the, the there's a lot of what the Joker's doing that for a change finally just starts to feel like, he is the demon of vanity rather than being dressed up in a way that seems more like, you know, just Miller's externalized, internalized homophobia, you know? And so yeah. it, it finally manages to slip free of enough of the shackles of specificity 
that mm-hmm. Miller shackled himself to for such a long time that it 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 feels it feels liberating and liberated in a way that yeah it it's it it's I would go further I would say it actually manages to slip free of the shackles of Miller of what we expect from him yeah well okay I I see I see your no point, I, I think, I think yeah I see where you're going with that callbacks mm-hmm. for it to be like I like you definitely read it and you're like oh it's it's the same guy who did the Dark Knight Returns right definitely and honestly. There's something to me in the fact that the comic's called Dark Knight Returns the Golden Child, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Whereas the comics were called The Dark Knight, The Dark Knight 2, right. and Dark Knight 3. Mm-hmm. So bringing in Dark Knight Returns mm. like what feels like a weird editorial like acknowledgement of this is closer to the first one, you guys, hmm. because it is. Hmm. Um, but it also – again, I think Miller has become – calcified and and people expect a particular thing from him mm-hmm. and i feel this is lacking so much of that for the better hmm. it's funny because the stuff in the close the stuff that hues the most closest closely to the quote-unquote dark knight material is you would expect it which is to say um you know Batman slash Batwoman being grim and kicking things feels um, so, uh, how do I put it like so um, automatic that it practically feel that it becomes almost dreamlike. You know what I mean? Like it's so calcified that, it, but within its weird context, like it, it really. I found myself thinking weirdly in those sequences, and this is far from what I think most people would consider a compliment. Did you see some of the scripts that Bill Mantlo that they reprinted from Bill Mantlo uh, after his accident? No. So someone had a page, I don't remember if it was in a fundraiser or tomorrow book or whatever, where Mantlo had a page that he uh, had written and given to the people to reproduce. He'd like typed it up and this was post his accident. So it's all, um, it's literally comic book scripting as muscle memory. Like there's dire wraiths, there's a sense of transformation, but um like everything's familiar, but literally incomprehensible. It, it's literally, uh, you know, the 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 reflex that allowed him to write Rom Space Knight for so long, you know, mm-hmm. is still there. Similarly, mm-hmm. there's bits and pieces in Dark Knight Returns. Like there's the, the whole sequence that is visually stunning, but absolutely nonsensical, where um, the Dark Knight has. Um, pop the wheels of this sedan of Joker's thugs into a video arcade of all places. And people are running amongst um, old video games mm-hmm. and the dark Knight sets off had steered them there and sets off a bomb that catapults her into kicking someone's face. And you're like, that is not how explosions work, but <laughs> But you know what I mean? Like it's precisely no, no, yeah, it, yeah, yeah. It manages yeah. And, to, and, and also, like it's helped by especially that sequence. Grandpa knows how to do Miller. Oh, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, it's, absolutely. It's never, it's never not his work. It's never not Grandpa. Right. But he, there are parts where he's like he picks very specific bits of Miller's visual iconography to play with. Oh yeah. And it's it's I mean 
it's fucking masterful work. His well, work in this comic is extraordinary. I mean, the thing that's that is stunning about it is Grandpa's doing a better job with Miller's uh, doing shoutouts to Miller's visual iconography than Miller is doing to Miller's verbal iconography. You know what I mean? Like Miller actually is doing better Kirby in the book than he ends up doing um, Miller. Like some of his shout shout outs to Dark Knight stuff is I'm like, yeah, it's it's. Yep. Yep. That's the thing. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But so it's a stunning mishmash. Like it's a genuinely weird uh, accomplishment and an exciting one of of comics that is great because I feel like by the same token, I'm not sure if you could sort of like you were saying about manga. I don't know if you could hand that to just an observer off the street and be like, Hey, this is one of the best comics of the year. And, and someone would read it and just be kind of be like, it's pretty, but you're crazy. You know it's, what I mean? it's, pre- it's pretty, but you're, it's incomprehensible. Yeah, it's true. Oh, Okay. So I want to move on because we're we're like heading towards the two hour mark. Yes, uh, I'm not going to say a lot about Doomsday Clock Twelve. Oh, good segue. But I am going to say this: <laughs> I have said at various points, like you know, there's a lot of interesting stuff here. You know, there, they, 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 I'm really curious if it's going to stick landing. Uh, I'm I'm literally not going to say spoilers because there's an embargo. There is an embargo for reviews. Sure. Um, but I will say this. If ever there was a comic where the landing is not stuck, but you can see where the landing was supposed to be. Oh, really? Huh. It's this. Mm. But when I say you can see where the landing is supposed to be, I don't want to give the impression that he was close to sticking the landing. Right. It's just that what actually happens makes it very, 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 very clear what the intent of the comic was supposed to be. Wow. It's, um, it doesn't do it. Hmm. It doesn't do it at all. Uh, And it's literally a comic that I read and thought, there's an awful lot here. Mm-hmm. And then I thought about it for a couple of hours, and the more I thought about it, the more I was like, "That was a failure." I'd <laughs> <laughs> actually then reread it and was like, "Okay, is it though?" Because I had warmer feelings about it when I read it, mm-hmm. and I read it again, and I was like, "Nope." Wow. I, I know exactly why I had long I had warmer feelings about it, but that that does not do what he wants it to do and it's it is a shame it genuinely is a shame because had he done what he wants to do Mm -hmm. and again fails to do Mm -hmm. i am not making a claim that it's otherwise but had he managed to do what he wants to do Mm -hmm. it could have been uh at the very least an interesting comic saying something interesting about comics. About superhero comics. Which, how do I put it? John's certainly talked in the early days as if that was what he was sure that he had done. Yes, and, and, and honestly, the last issue for me read very much like he knew he wasn't going to get there. 
Mm-hmm. And he's trying the best he can to try and get his intent out. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, it's 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 an incredibly frustrating final issue. Mm-hmm. It's incredibly frustrating final issue. Um, yeah, it's it's such uh, it's funny. Next week on Wednesday, sees the final issue of this, and sees the final issue of Tom King's Batman. Mm-hmm. And again, no spoilers, but I'm not sure I felt more frustrated by any two things I've read this year than those two. <laughs> Interesting. Interesting. Well, before, um, I'm not even sure if I can take the bait on that, but let me let me say one of the things I find interesting and in a way, I guess, regretful is Doomsday Clock finishes very, very, very much later than was. Oh, a year later, Jeff. Yeah. Originally. A solid intended. year later. Yeah. So... What I find fascinating is everything that I have heard and or not heard about Doomsday Clock is pretty much the at the opposite end of the spectrum from everything that I've heard about HBO's Watchmen show. And I feel that if Doomsday... And the fact they're finishing on the same week. Yeah, is... Yeah, I mean, unless... Unless Doomsday Clock really ends up shitting the bed, which it does not. It... Unless Doomsday Clock ends up shitting the bed. Do you mean the Watchmen oh, show? Sorry, the Watchmen show. Unless unless Watchmen, the TV show, ends up shitting the bed in its finale, uh, which seems unlikely, but could happen. Um, I feel that it sets up. It, it's pretty hard for people not to want to talk about the two in comparison to one another. It's. Yes, it's and that's very. I was going to say unfair to Johns. It's not unfair to Johns at all. It's it's not a good comparison for it, Johns. Right. It's it, right. It's not a flattering comparison, and it's one that that wouldn't would would be the chances of it being made would be hugely reduced if it. I feel if it had come out on time. Oh yeah. You know? If if Doomsday Clock had finished at the end of 2018 as was originally the point. Right. It would have been over for more than six months before the show started. Right. Which means, honestly, like you would have had some comparisons, but I think the comparisons would have been when the show started. Right. And, and um, very minor, if at that, you know, sort of the same way that, you know, uh, not a lot of people really are rushing in to talk about before Watchmen in comparison to Watchmen, the show, you know? Yes. Which is it's like it came close again. I don't want to spoil any of the HBO show for you because I genuinely hope at some point you're going to watch it. I I know you're not, and honestly, you're not going to get the same experience that those of us who have been watching quote unquote live have True. because right, like there there are legitimate narrative surprises that will be spoiled for you. Right. Like there just are. Yeah. Um, but. This is the way I'm thinking about it right now. And again, the final episode of the the show is still to air. I've not seen it. Right. Um, But Watchmen, the show, Mm -hmm. and Doomsday Clock. Doomsday Clock is about comics. Mm -hmm. And Watchmen, the show, is is about the world. Yeah. Does that make sense? Mm Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Oh, no, absolutely. From everything that I've heard, it's definitely... Uh... And here's the thing. There is actually an awful lot of crossover between the two. Mm-hmm. Maybe more than people are thinking about. Hmm. But there is a lot of crossover between the two. And I genuinely think there's going to be at least one plot beat that the two will share by the end of this, the, by the end of both stories. Interesting. Um, however... Mm-hmm. It is the problem with Doomsday Clock finishing after the Watchmen show is it amplifies so much how Johns has approached everything from the point of view of comic book narrative and right. comic book tropes mm-hmm. that the show just doesn't. Right. And the show, don't get me wrong, the show is very aware of those tropes. Mm-hmm. The show is very aware of those tropes. Mm-hmm. But again, I see, I want to make specific references to things. And I, but I also don't want to spoil you. But like, you're never—is uh, it worth spoiling you? And yeah, uh, <laughs> I like—I genuinely don't know what to do because like, there's 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 a specific thing that happens in the show mm-hmm. that for me crystallizes the way in which the show is aware of the tropes, mm-hmm. but honestly doesn't give a shit about them because they're not real, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. As opposed to Doomsday Clock, which is written. Uh, not only written about, but written inside those tropes. Right. Right. You know, like Doomsday Clock, I, again, I'm not spoiling anything about the last issue, but Doomsday Clock, when it started, I was very excited. Even like midway through, I remember like around issue five or six, I was still excited about the prospect of it being something that can contrast mainstream superhero comics and Watchmen mm-hmm. and the influence and crossover between the two. Mm-hmm. and say something interesting about that. Mm-hmm. The closest I'll come to spoiling the end of Doomsday Clock is it does not manage to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, indeed, kind of the opposite. <laughs> the, 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 the connection it draws is uh, honestly almost insultingly simplistic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, that, and again, I'm not a, I'm not the Moore fan that you are, right? Mm-hmm. I'm not a Watchmen fan that you are, right? But by the end of Doomsday Clock, I feel that while Johns has clearly studied Watchmen, mm-hmm. he also somehow manages to insult Watchmen <laughs> <laughs> really badly. <laughs> really badly <laughs> with with his his conclusion mm. and his his lack of nuance is only underscored mm. by what Lindelof and, and Lindelof's team is doing in the Watchmen TV show. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The Watchmen TV show is genuinely the work of someone who goes, "I love Watchmen, but Watchmen is not uh is not the be all and end all." Mm-hmm. There with Watchmen and the world has moved on since Watchmen and I want to write about those spaces and Doomsday Clock ultimately for me feels like what happens when someone has read Watchmen understands that Watchmen is an important work but doesn't necessarily agree with Watchmen right. and instead of coming up with a response writes something that ultimately becomes fan fiction right well I can't necessarily 
mm, gasp in shock at that. But uh, it, I, I honestly, I gasp. I don't gasp in shock of it in that like the the previous issues have proceedingly like gone more and more off the rails. Mm-hmm. But even so, mm-hmm. it, where the twelfth issue ends, like where it goes, is is actually really genuinely shockingly facile we'll see and there is part of me that's kind of like yeah i kind of i do i do i kind of do want to see that face plant it says something really terrible about me but uh but i do um, I, it's, it's like i i hate seeing it I no i know you do because i think it. i think but, that you were but, a really strong on, booster about it yeah know? but honestly it face plants mm-hmm. it does mm-hmm and I, I I genuinely hate saying it, but there is no way of getting around it. Mm-hmm. Like it it does not stick the landing in any way. The only way it sticks the landing is that it's a comic that ends. Mm. Like that's it. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's hilarious. I mean, there's you know, Graham. The really sad part is is that we can't just talk for six hours because I'm like, <laughs> that brings up so many things that I would want to talk to you about. Oh my God, we've just like barely skimmed the service. Well, I know we're two hours, Jeff. We're two hours. This I is know. what happens when we talk for a month. Right? I know, I know exactly. Uh, I don't, I don't think. Uh, for example, I was going to use the idea of. Oh, Doomsday Clock is going to come out and it, you know, is kind of a face plant. And part of me is like, I was going to go from, oh, gee, I wonder what the critical reaction would be to, yes, who knows what the people in, you know, distant countries who are now hired to write articles for CBR uh, will have to say about the 12th issue of Doomsday Clock, you know? Yeah. That... Yeah, they'll they'll say it and, and it'll translate into languages. Oh, my God! So, for people who don't know uh, what we're talking about, um, it, it's someone. I think it was, for me, I saw it via Nick Hanover, who was kind of like, "Hey, uh, I think that CBR is using a content mill to generate their comic book articles because it was a stunning listicle." I, I think that was. I don't remember which one because like, I read all, two of them. I, all I can say is. I've written a lot of stuff like where you have to write and you just have to write and you read it back and you're like, oof, I missed words out. It read like that that had also gone through Google Translate. Oh, yeah, exactly. I mean, it's like, I'm sorry, I actually have read um, like when people like reprint reviews that were clearly written by, you know, written by a content mill, you know, people in another country and just it was like, oh, this is this is somebody who had to use Wikipedia and Google Translate and the stuff that is coming out. The the just it's one thing to drop another uh, word or two. It's another thing to write in a syntax that really suggests that, you know, you are you, you're you're not you don't your first language is not a romance language. Let's put it that way. You know, and it, yeah, it's, yeah. So I'm just like, wow, comic book journalism slash criticism has hit a new high. So 
I, I was going to talk about that. Uh, I don't even know what the rest of my list was, but you know, <laughs> like I said, we talk about that. Something else would come up and I'd be like, Oh yeah, Graham, that reminds me. What did you think of, you know, like I finished the end of the Batman universe books and I sort of wanted to talk about that. And then I wanted to talk about like the Superman reveal, which I've not been paying any attention to and stuff like that. You know, some of the, I really like that issue. Yeah. Did you? I re- I re- did. I really like that issue a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it, it's uh, that's that's all I really have to say about it. But yeah, Terrific. I, I thought I thought that was a fun issue. I am very happy to see it. I uh, I will be more happy if there is absolutely no type of reboot uh, anywhere in the offing. Yeah, but but we'll see. Right, right. But we'll see. Uh, but that is like that is one of the concerns, right? Like mm-hmm. we all know something is happening to DC next year, and Superman revealing his identity kind of feels like one of those things that he did. Oh, that's right! In 2015, when Superman last had his identity <laughs> revealed, just before a reboot. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Do you want to know the funniest thing about that? Of course. Um, the, the Superman issue, the Superman 18 comes out, that came out this week, and it's Superman, and he reveals his identity to the world. And the story's called Truth. Mm-hmm. And in 2015, there was a story where Superman's identity was out to the world. And the story was called Truth. Mm-hmm. And here's the thing, Jeff. It's one thing to repeat, repeat a plot point for right. four years later. Right. It's another to do it in a story that has exactly the same name. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, maybe Bendis didn't know. Right, an editor should, oh. and an editor should at least have gone. Maybe don't call it that. Well, see, that's it. I kind of feel like that was the weird, uncomfortable silence of everyone. You know, I mean, that's if if Bendis. It certainly seems, by every indication, that uh, Bendis is being treated as as a 900 pound gorilla uh so to speak at the dc offices and can sit anywhere he wants as the joke goes um and i don't necessarily know if that is ultimately good for him like on the one hand part of me is because through the miracle of hoopla i did grab a hold of that first volume of wonder twins um by Mark Russell uh, and the artist whose name I am forgetting and should look up. Stephen Byrne. Thank you, Stephen Byrne. Thank God. God love you, Graham McMillan. And uh, I have to say that I didn't like that first issue. And I was like, this is not going to work for me. And I read that series and I was like, not only was that enjoyable for me, but that is, I mean, a, it wouldn't exist if it, apparently if it hadn't been Bendis being really into the idea of, of, of a Wonder Twins comic existing uh, and being really into the idea of Mark Russell writing it when it was suggested to him. But Russell himself goes on to turn out a superhero comic that is a really, um, how do I put it? Uh, You know, uh, 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 a very Vonnegut deconstruction of, the superhero comic you know what i mean have you read uh the dial h series from wonder comics i read the first issue and i get get that trade from Hoopla. Uh, all right no 
get that trade from if nothing else for the art no the art is beautiful the art is beautiful but um how do i put it i think one of the things i liked about mark russell's take on wonder twins is i mean you know sort of like he he knows the characters i guess but it's it's going to sound dumb but he manages to write satire that i feel quote unquote kind of like what you're saying about the difference between doomsday clock and watchmen the tv show like dial h for hero the first issue that i read of it and admittedly i read wonder twins and had the same bleh kind of response but dial h for hero seemed like it was very much a comic book about comic books and i feel like yeah i I, it is i'm just gonna put that out there right it is and I think Wonder Twins is a little more a comic about the world. You know what I mean? Like, there's a lot of, you know, the supervillain in Wonder Twins is uh, arguably the hero. Like, the heroes in the book ultimately end up being um, agents of repression of change. You know, it's a it's a very sunny, funny book that is about a lot of genuinely depressing and worrying topics like it. It's in a way it's a comic book, you know, about Trump's America in which Trump never appears, you know, and it it just it really I was a I was impressed. B, I will check in with Dial H for Hero because, again, hoopla, why not? I definitely was proven wrong after not digging Wonder Twins, so I should be. All of which is to bring it back. Like I said, A, we've got a lot of things that we could just keep riffing off of, some things like this, and some things like saying that, you know, someone, uh, Brian Bendis, probably someone should have sat down and told him. The story was titled this. It was 2015. It's not that long ago. Now, sometimes it's good when writers clearly haven't read the work that comes before them on the title that they are working on. A lot of times I think that it is, that's a mistake. And like you said, that's a mistake that editorial usually tries to come up and find a way to address. Uh, and I... You know, like I'm not. Yeah, that, that's the thing. I, I honestly have no problem with Bendis doing this storyline, mm-hmm. especially because, like I said, I like that issue. But have it having the same name as as the storyline that did it before is is a bit too much. Like it's mm-hmm. a bit too on the nose. Yeah, yeah. So I, it's it's weird how much it's a. I don't know. It's 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 weirdness. I just got to say, Graham, it's weirdness, and that's going to be my entirely coherent segue to us uh, getting ready to close down this episode. Because because um, as Graham because it's, it it it's, it's been it's it works time, friends. Yeah, that's right. Um, okay, well, this is what I'm going to tell you that uh, there will be show notes for this episode up at Wait What Podcast on Sunday, Monday, some right. some point at the start of the week. Let's just let's say Monday to. To be safe, but 
it's Jeff. Jeff's going to get them up on Sunday. Anyway, <laughs> I, as you listen to this, there's almost inevitably show notes up there. Is all I'm saying. Um, there will be once again. I'm I'm I think over my jet lag. So there's going to be stuff on the Instagram, Instagram.com forward slash WaitWhatPods. There will be stuff on the Tumblr, uh, WaitWhatPods.tumblr.com, and we have a Twitter account at WaitWhatPodcasts. Jeff has a Twitter account at LazyBastard at L A Z Y B A S T I D, and I am on Twitter. And I have to swallow, so I'm very sorry. I'm on Twitter at Graham M. That's G-R-A-E-M-E-M. Uh, we are a Patreon-supported podcast, which means Jeff has something to tell y'all right now. I have to say, like, I really do. I uh, uh, I will fess up um, for those of you who are wondering. Graham and I, and I'm very, very happy about this. Graham and I did actually talk on uh, at least two of the three off weeks and i'm i definitely benefited hugely from that should i I really not have said that but you're giving away but you know we're actually friends we actually talk i know i know but i guess that's the thing that's kind of funny is i'm kind of like i really enjoyed it i was incredibly grateful for it i'm also kind of like oh this is different. Like and this, the ingredient X, as it is, is our listeners. Um, and maybe ingredient X squared are our listeners on Patreon. Um, all of you guys managed to keep us inspired and entertained and uh, send us uh, interesting comments and uh, questions and uh, shoot us stuff on uh, Twitter. That's really uh, quite wonderful to see. But uh, the people on Patreon not only do all of that, but throw us a little bit of their hard-earned dosh, which um, continues to keep us inspired uh, and continues to keep, um, you know, the occasionally intermittent uh, draggy-ass individuals such as myself continue to um, redouble their efforts to stay in, in the in the game, as it were. And, uh, and that has... Um, uh, I'm grateful and motivated and thrilled. And I, I, this is something that I still enjoy doing, despite the fact that Graham and I have been doing it for like something like 10 fucking years, which is stunning in a way, if you think about it in kind of a weird, like, Again, I keep talking about outsider art. I think a lot of people are going to be like, oh, so there are two guys who actually just talk to each other about comic books for literally a decade, huh? And it's like, no, 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 a decade plus. So thank you. I I also want to give a special thanks to Empress Audrey, Queen of the Galaxy, uh, for continuing support of this podcast, as well as, and this is super important, not crushing... uh, our little corner of the cosmos to tiny cosmic kibble bits. We appreciate it. Graham? I'm trying to make a kibble bits joke and just can't just can't terrible. I have a wild magnet so I can't make a drunk and make a genuine one track and track and take it so long and so long. I think it is. I think it is a drunk, right? It is a drunk, and you know what? You started breaking up and buzzing, so... Um, I don't really want to call back. So no, I'm just going to do it now. Bye! <laughs>